millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. So hey everybody, welcome to episode 198 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra and I am in Toronto, Ontario and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And also joined by Tammy Coron down in West Tennessee. Hey there. And we're not joined by Greg or Mark because they're wandering around in San Jose enjoying the festivities of WWDC 2018, which is what this episode is about surprisingly. So we'll dig in, shall we? Sure. So we have we have no follow-up either, which is strange for us. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking here there isn't anything even in the uh, take the long-term view and everything is eventually follow-up i couldn't i uh, couldn't find any follow-up for this week really interesting well i guess we'll dig right in so um i saw a tweet earlier by a friend of the show evan deckheiser um who uh was once a scholarship entrant entrance into wwc and i believe he got in last year on a scholarship i'm not sure 2016 20 or no, 2017 uh, anyway he posted a, a, a tweet here and i'll link it in the show notes that uh, and with a link to this that he's he's glad to see that the scholarship winners are actually getting a place on the app store so congratulations to the scholarship winners so apple's got them on the on the app store i think it's rather nice and it, and it, it seems very appropriate because um you know it'll i'm, I'm sure they're starry-eyed seeing their their app not just in the app store but also you know it essentially being shown as like an editor's choice sort of thing right 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 yeah 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 i think it benefits both parties really indeed yeah think about it you know like like Jaime said the winners kind of have that hey that's really cool my apps not only or my yeah my apps not just on the app store it's also sort of being featured and that might encourage new developers to get into the game and try and get these scholarships which is just growing the apple ecosystem for apple you know more developers means more stuff and i was surprised to find i was going to talk about a scholarship winner later in the show but uh, she's actually an adult but she got a scholarship i'm not quite sure she told me a little bit about about her background but uh, it's not just for 
students, I guess, right? Getting a scholarship. I'm not sure what the rules are for that. Maybe that's follow up for next week. Anyway. All right. So let's move on to our, uh, we have some, oh, I guess these are follow up. No, these are main topics, right? So the first big main topic here is from Jaime. Yeah. This was rumored, I think, rather strongly on Sunday or maybe Saturday and then became official on Monday, the day of WWDC. And that would be uh, Microsoft agreeing to buy GitHub in a deal, an all stock mm-hmm. deal worth $7.5 billion. An all stock deal. Yeah. So they didn't, they didn't actually like cut them a check and be like, Hey, here you go. Here's some money. Um, and from what people were analyzing, they were saying that, well, given the bump in Microsoft stock, it was almost free for them to buy GitHub. By doing oh, right. Work. Right. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I guess these guys can, can they, are they going to continue to keep their jobs and stuff like that? I guess so. Right. Yeah. There's going to be some, some changes. So, uh, GitHub was already looking for a new CEO, their, uh, their current CEO oh, right. and co-founder, uh, Chris Wenstrath, I think his name's pronounced, uh, is going to become a Microsoft technical fellow. Um, okay. And cool. the new CEO would be Nat Friedman, who was the founder of Xamarin. That would be the uh, open source implementation uh, of .NET. Right, right. Um, that also allows you to do the, like, you know, write your apps using .NET for, for iOS and Android sort of thing. So, and, and you know, of course, all the na- all the people were, I think a lot of people were in shock on Sunday when the rumors started coming out. And I guess when, when it actually became official, but there, I've got a link in the show notes here from Microsoft's official blog from uh, Satya Nadali, Nadala, who is actually the chief CEO of Microsoft, talking about how Microsoft plus GitHub equals empowering developers. And so I guess they're positioning it that, that this is going to be good for the development community, all, all told, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's been sort of interesting to watch this online because it's it's sort of like a Rorschach test to see how you feel about GitHub and, and Microsoft. I, I think my take on it is GitHub was a company that was burning through cash like crazy. They they, they had revenue, right? So they, they charged money for, for some stuff. So it's not as if they were completely dependent on like ads or something, but it was, I think, pretty clear that they were just a little bit too cost heavy to really be attractive for further venture capitalist investment and kind of unlikely that they could hang around long enough to do an IPO. So having somebody like a Microsoft come in who has boatloads of cash at their disposal and aligns, in my opinion, rather well, right? Like Microsoft is getting back to its roots of, oh, we should be really good about making developer tools that can be available everywhere. And part of that everywhere is GitHub, right? So I think this is, in my opinion, a pretty positive thing. Well, it's also a safe play for them too, because if you think about it, I mean, in spite of where Windows or or whatever phone they come out with next week um, fizzles or fails or whatever, the fact that, you know, I think everybody and his brother keeps their code on GitHub, right? I think, you know, um, I think I might have a, I might have a few things left on GitHub, but, um, you know, all the different platforms around the world, like we, all those, those Stack Overflow uh, surveys we go through every year and list off all the, you know, the popular applications. I mean, they're all using GitHub, you know, unless there's some reason why they wouldn't, private privacy or whatever, but um, they're all using GitHub for the code. And if you, I mean, like, it's it's part of your resume these days. You got to have a GitHub page, right? In some cases, right? Yeah. And I, I think a lot of the, the other opinions of this, I, I think they end up stemming from kind of which ecosystem do you come from and less, less so, but tracks kind of nicely with what version of Microsoft is the version of Microsoft in your memory. And I think people who came through the 90s and are very more, you know, vocally angry at Microsoft for its business practices during that Bill Gates and, and part of Steve right. Ballmer era, like they hate this, right? They're very distrustful. They they think uh, embrace, extend, extinguish is the first thing. I think people who are younger than that, so just getting into the development game relatively early, they've seen the happier Microsoft, the Satya Nadella-driven Microsoft that's like, hey, we'll support Linux on Azure. Why not? Oh yeah, we'll support Node.js. We'll become 
the biggest contributor to open source, right? We, we saw those numbers somewhere. It was like a Stack Overflow survey or a GitHub survey or something. It was like, you would think it's Facebook. You would think it's Google. But guess what? They lose. It's Microsoft that is by far the biggest open source contributor. Like, like that's just the fact of the matter, right? When it comes to at least GitHub's view of it. Yeah, it's almost sort of leading from behind the way Apple does. In, in I mean, because they've been really off of our radar for a number of years. I mean, I, like I said, I grew, I grew up through the 90s and Microsoft was always the evil empire. In fact, you know, uh, one of my son's best friends went to Microsoft right out of school and uh, and still there, right? And uh, he lives in near you. He's one of your neighbors. But um, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of uh, they just started showing up like in the last you know year or so. Like they started coming more and more present. Now now they're they're in our. Well, I guess maybe when we, when they bought Skype, right, was kind of when they started coming back into our under our radar, right? Yeah, I, I think I'm going to start putting my code under my mattress from this point forward. No, I'm I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. You know, it's not a secret that I'm not a huge fan of Microsoft. I've never really been after I made the switch to the to the Mac. And although I'm not a fan, I want to take a wait and see approach. Just because Microsoft owns something doesn't immediately make it bad. I've seen right. stuff that they've <laughs> well, I've seen stuff that they've touched that that's really good, and I've seen t- stuff they touch that turns bad. Skype is one of those things, in my opinion, that turned bad. If if GitHub ends up the way Skype, in my opinion, ended up, I'll probably not use GitHub as much. If, however, it turns into something like, I like Microsoft Office. I think that that product has really improved over the years. And I when I have to do stuff like that, I enjoy using it. So if they do that with GitHub, and I know, you know, they didn't go out and buy Microsoft Office, but if they continue to make GitHub the way that it's operating and they build on it and they make it better, I don't care whose name is on it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, I mean, mind you, I switched over to Bit- Bitbucket years ago. Um, well, that's what I, I mean. Use. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Only uh, GitHub because they forced me to use it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's what I was saying. Like, like I know that a lot of organizations that I, I still work with, I work with one in particular that, that, you know, put, I get notifications from GitHub all the time and I'm, I, I'm part of the team and, and I see the repos and stuff like that. But if you go to my repo on, on GitHub, you won't find anything because there's nothing there to see. Right. So, um, you know, that's, yeah. that's the big argument. There, there are so many different services out there that all provide the same or similar things. Some do parts of it well, while others do those same parts terribly. And and it's not it's not a world in which there's just a single tool for a single job or a single tool for every job from chat to yeah github's been there but i mean you know still things change people come people take over they start working on the code and, and it turns to a disaster i just think that keeping your mind open is a good thing yeah so but github has nothing to do with the git language or the git i don't know what is it what is it language or tool the uh, version control Switch tool uh, system yeah, that's actually it. a rather good point because people forget that like git was created uh, by uh, linus torvalds as a decentralized de- uh, distributed version control system right so right. yeah yeah hypothetically even right now with, with GitHub the way it is, if there are 90, sorry, 100 uh, copies of, you know, whatever your open source project is, and 99 of them fall into the ocean, you know, like everybody's laptops at the beach, they just fall in the ocean. You're still okay because you still have 
at least one that's sitting on that hundredth laptop, right? right this isn't right. Uh, like CVS or SVN where like there is a master mothership repository and everybody is is synced off of that. This is this is something that you know if you don't like it, you can use an alternative. You know, move your repos to Bitbucket, move your repos to GitLab, and I'm sure there's others that I'm unaware or of. Or put the put the, yeah put a drive under your mattress. Um, so is it a federated kind of service or is it like does it have data centers and stuff like that? The Git is just a just a tool you can that you probably have it on your Mac laptop. Um, I think it's pre-installed if I'm not mistaken. Um, and you can just create Git repositories in your own machine. And if and if hypothetically you wanted to share it with your friend, you could just make that available to them. Right? It's it's kind of more of a hassle, but it's it's doable. And I think that was part of the big selling point for GitHub, and that it made it easier to synchronize on the sorts of things. Where all right, well here is the like by convention the repository on GitHub is the master and or the upstream and we all have our own sort of local copies of it and we can decide what we want to do and and forking is possible because it's easy to say you know what forget that i don't really like the way this project is going i'm going to have my own flavor of this open source project yeah get it's just the technology get github is just the, the app on top of it is another way to, to look at it yeah yeah so um speaking of keeping things the same um here's an article that i, I found during the week just after i guess the day that wwdc launched um or day before maybe uh, talking about can Apple stay Apple, speaking of which. So, and this is an article about um, Apple getting into the same kind of revenue streams that uh, the other players um, in terms of ad uh, ad network playing, I guess, um, that uh, Facebook and Google are involved in, right? So, uh, I, and, and, you know, we were talking about this before the show as to whether or not, you know, app, what Apple's original position was. The, ar- the author of this article talks about how, you know, Steve Jobs would never have done this, but in fact, you know, uh, Amy pointed out that he, in fact, was behind or in involved with IAD, so of course they, they are involved in it. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's also, it's also there's also the concept of leaving money on the table. Why wouldn't Apple get in, involved in something where there's there's um, some money to be made? What what fault is there in doing that, right? I don't really fully understand it because it, it seems to me as it paints the world into black and white that you are, even stuff that isn't true with Apple, even though it, there is some truth through it, that is, you know, all they can do is create these shiny hardware products and sell those and they, they focus on that. Or you Google and Facebook who charge you for nothing and sell uh, advertising, right? It, it, it's somewhere in between, even for, for all of those companies. Um, I don't fully understand the idea that, oh, well, uh, there you go, black and white. Apple does ads. Guess what? They're just as bad as, as Facebook and Cambridge Analytica and those were unreasonable things people are bringing to mind. Um, I think this is a very absolutist sort of view of the world. I think there are ways for Apple to do this that, that don't. They just give away the keys to the kingdom the way that Facebook foolishly did. And I don't think it's really quite the same thing in terms of where are the incentives aligned, right? And we're in a post-GDPR, uh, General Data Protection Regulation world, where even if you were extraordinarily cynical about Apple's intentions, if nothing else, you should believe that they don't want gigantic uh, lawsuits and or uh, regulatory fines coming their way. So just have some faith that it will be uh, at least legally compliant. And then if you're more reasonable, I think you'll say, yeah, you know what? Apple is going to have people's best intentions in mind because they're spending so much time and effort on the privacy and security angle, especially at this year's WWDC, that it doesn't seem reasonable to be to think like, oh yeah, they're, now they're just exactly in the same bucket as Facebook and Google, which doesn't seem exactly fair. Yeah, and there were some factual issues that I have with the article. He talks about Steve Jobs saying that Apple would make its money selling great products and services. Well, in fact, Apple's I don't think that, I mean, that, that obviously is core to what Apple's intention is, but their approach is to sell experience, right? I mean, the whole, even quotes Simon Sinek in here, but we'll just start with why you know, people buy Apple because of 
because they trust Apple. They trust Apple to take care of their work and make their make it easy to use and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, which could be argued. But um, and he's talking about how you know basically Google and Facebook are making money off of your personal information, and, and he's sort of saying why would Apple do that? And I don't think Apple would. I mean, especially in light of what we've been saying on this show over the last little while that that you know Apple isn't interested in your personal information. Um, they're fine without it, and and uh, and and they think you they're trying to protect you from yourself in a lot of cases, right? They're so they don't need to. I think that he's wrong in this article about how what the intention is behind doing this, and I, and I think it's all about why would Apple, you know, not allow people empower people, I suppose, to to have ads on the on the network and that kind of stuff. They have a they have a market of people, and they can they can um, you know vet who gets on it and uses it, right? Is this around the, is this around the stuff lately that that people can buy um, or can advertise products through different services on Apple? I'm, I'm a little foggy on that. It's you're, you're foggy because this is not something that has been officially announced by Apple. It was not announced at WWDC. It was in the rumor mill just prior to WWDC's keynote. And it, it, it seems the current flavor of the rumor I've heard is that they're going to start this network that's meant more for, I think, the probably the larger players is what I'm understanding, where if you're somebody who has a very large audience like a Pinterest or a Snapchat um, and you've got content going in there, then somehow people will be able to buy ads within those um, within those app experiences. And and I don't know what Apple's take on this is, but I am imagining it something like, all right, well, you're viewing some um, some pin board on Pinterest. It's like, oh, wow, like really do love green couches. And then, oh, okay, here you go. Here's an ad to Wayfair.com. You can buy a green couch almost exactly like this for $1.99, just happier to get it. Or you're on Snapchat and you're looking at, you know, I don't know, whatever the latest thing that Kim Kardashian and Kanye West are wearing at the Grammy. Oh wow, I sure would love to have those. Oh, here's an ad for I don't even know <laughs> eBay.com because I can't. I'm not in the fashion industry, so I don't know where people would normally go for that. But I think that's sort of the description for that. Um, so it's really hard to say exactly what it will be. Um, I imagine it being sort of like I ad. Um, perhaps not the sort of thing you could just randomly buy into like IAD or um, hopefully is not something that will look kind of kind of crummy the way that IAD could towards the end of its days when sort of the major the big players had jumped off and it was just random Joe Bob in his basement buying ads yeah yeah I mean IAD was kind of IAD for me IAD never really worked very well and I don't think Mark did for Mark either but um, you know not as well I mean AdMob kind of ate their lunch right but uh, I mean I can't remember why Apple I mean it just didn't seem to work. I don't think Apple was getting anything out of it, and it was it was kind of dragging the brand down too, right? So it's probably why they shut it down, right? No, just the last thing that I remember was I I think with Steve Jobs, and we'll have to find a video in the archive somewhere. I think when he was presenting it, it was intended more for like the General Motors, Coca Cola, and Huggies of the world, right? It was like we're going to make sure that you know they're doing a really good job in these ads and that they don't suck like the way that ads essentially always have, <laughs> right, on the web. Uh, that they were going to be more like premium experiences, kind of like the way that people will, um, in some cases for fan bases, they will gladly pay for some random movie ticket just so they can watch like the new Star Wars trailer, right? You know, that, that sort of thing. And the reality was it it wasn't something that provided the kind of uh, analytics information that the advertisers wanted, right? That's why the advertisers gravitated towards Google and Facebook's implementations uh, because they did do all that and continued to do that until now we're in a GDPR world where, oops, that's kind of less viable now. So I think Apple's, you know, iAd 2.0 idea, if we were to give it a name, it seems more viable now because you, you still want, you know, the people with the money and the people with the money are on Apple's platforms because they're they're more expensive, right? You're sort of self 
selecting in the same way that you would just assume that people with BMWs and Teslas probably have money. All right. Um, so this, uh, this is something we were talking about, uh, we talked about a bit, and apparently it's sort of been confirmed, I guess, if you can call Bloomberg a source. Uh, Mark Grimman over at Bloomberg has uh, posted a point here that um, Apple is said to be working on a, uh, at least a plan to have in 2018 uh, face recognition and I guess more gesture based uh, stuff. And we saw evidence of that at, at WWDC. In fact, I think iOS 12 has more gesture based uh, um, stuff, even on the other phones, uh, similar to how, the, how it is on the iPhone 10. But working on face recognition is, is the huge piece. And, and we kind of speculated on that because we saw that leaked uh, screen protector that somebody had put out up on Amazon, right? But um, yeah, so yeah, this article. And you, you said you found some more evidence, um, Jaime, is that what you linked there? Yeah, there's a, a tweet here with a little bit of a video from Guillermo Rambo, who's uh, contributed to a 95 Mac, mm-hmm. and it's showing uh, Face ID setup UI on the iPad. Oh, really? Yeah, and if you watch the video, you can see the, the little smiley face looking thing with the circle around it. You're supposed to rotate your face you right. know, at all angles to fill in the little diagram. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. So the, all the, there's, there's a lot of smoke there saying that, yeah, we're probably going to get a Face ID powered iPad in the fall since WWDC has come and spoilers they didn't announce any hardware well no mystery that no mystery that that's coming because i mean they're um i mean they've been i think they said themselves that the, just from a security point of view if you look at the i can't think it was maybe in the um was it in the iphone announcement but the, the number of points of uh, i forget what you call it but uh, of, of security or the or the you know the the level at which they can you know a face can be used um what am i thinking you know that you know, it's kind of a number in terms of how long it would take to break a code um you know, with with fingerprint, first of all, they're only using a small portion of your fingerprint, and uh, whereas face ID, face ID can can adapt to different changes and looks and hairstyles and things like that, and um, of course it's backed up by the passcode or the pin code. So, and it just it works. I mean, I I, heard, I, I know I've, I saw something about the fact that it's actually slower than Touch ID, but you know, for me, it's it's almost magical. I don't know. Did you have an iPhone ten, Tammy? Oh, Tammy, <laughs> Tammy. You don't even know who you want to talk to. I know. Anymore, we're, I'm talking to both of you, just like you just you're Hammy. Right. Anyway, go ahead. I, I do have an iPhone 10, which I had to get specifically to write the AR kit book by tutorials, face ID sections. Right, right. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I have pretty intimate knowledge with the face ID stuff. It's yeah, really cool. It, yeah, no, it is for sure. The, the whole true depth camera and, and the way it works. And it, it just seems magical. It's very, very similar to what Apple does. And and the whole gesture based, you know, navigation. Uh, I just watched uh, um, before we started designing um designing fluid interfaces I was talking about the how how gestures work and and uh, how they they take a, a small flick of your finger and turn that into a giant scroll on the on the phone um, which takes away a lot of the effort of, of navigating around the phone if they didn't have those kind of you know fluid gestures or fluid motions um, it wouldn't seem human like right to you as a user and um, it wouldn't uh, you know it would it would be clunky on the device right so that's a bit of a an aside on that particular video that I was watching earlier but um, yeah, I think it's it's. It, I think I, you know it was it was within seconds of using the phone that I, that the gestures became natural. Don't, didn't you find that, Jaime? Yeah, and it actually was kind of weird when I you know I got used to the gestures on the iPhone 10 and how it operates. And trying to use um, an iPhone 7 was it felt foreign because I expected that I could flick from the bottom of the screen to unlock it. No, you can't. Right, you right. need to press the Touch ID <laughs> sensor on the home button. Um, and you know multitasking and everything is is so different. You don't drag up halfway and let go you have to double tap or uh, double press the home button another thing so it right it right. took a while to yeah. get used to um but not very long and once i did it just it just feels like it flows more naturally
naturally. Right, right. Well, hopefully they get this this year because I'm, I'm actually in the market of I'm going to get move off of my uh, current 12 inch, 12.9 inch iPad to another device. I don't know if I'm going to go to a 10, the, the new 10 inch one, or or hold up for uh, another 12. What do you think? How many, Tammy, you have a 12 inch. What do you think about the size of the the iPad? Do you, would you go to a smaller one again? I think it's 12.5 inch, isn't it? 12.9, 9.7, 12.9, 10.5, I think. Something. Yeah. yeah. I got the 12-ish inch one, and yeah, I, I like it. I don't think I would want a smaller one for drawing, but when I'm doing some traveling and I just need it to like watch videos or things like that, I take my, gosh, I don't know if it's an iPad mini or an iPad Air, I can't remember, but it's a smaller one. Yeah, the mini is the smallest yeah. one. Oh, you can, oh, right. No, you know what? It is an iPad Air. That's what I got. Mm-hmm. So I, it depends what you're doing. It, for you, I mean, you're drawing, so. Yeah, well, not always, but yeah. Um, as a quick side here. What, what was the book we talked about last week? Um, I, uh, from Ray Wonderlake. I don't remember the context because they've come up with quite a few books. Is it the Realm one? Is yeah, it the those guys Design Patterns by Tutorials? Them. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, that one AR Kit by actually. Tutorials? That's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, because we were wondering whether, how, what I think Greg maybe asked me what involvement um, Tammy had in that book. So now that she's here on the show, we can ask her. Like, were you doing tech editing or were you actually writing part of it, Tammy? I wrote I wrote part of it. I wrote the chat chapters on the face ID. Oh, look, there's your face there. (laughs) Yeah, that's my face covered in zombie mask. Um, And I also did the final pass edit on that and worked with three other authors and three other tech editors, maybe four other tech editors. Right. Interesting. Takes a village to make a Ray Wonderlake book. Yeah, we'll we'll have a link to that in the show notes for those of you driving at home. And uh, spoilers, somehow that is not one of Tammy's picks, which shocks me. Really? Oh, I know she's not very good no, at promotion. That that feels weird. Yeah, you and Greg have that yeah. thing. I don't I don't understand this. Uh, but if you would just let the rest of us know what you're doing, then um, then we that's can true. pick for you, and you can you know that's true. Humbly well, accept and, our and, praises. Yeah, and all all you have to do is send us twenty bucks by Apple Pay. It's very simple. Apple Pay cash. Of course, they can't send it to me in Canada. You have to send it in in loonies. Um, all right. So what's the next thing we got here? Uh, I mean, this is a WWDC story or what? What, what, what's going on? Yeah, it, it, it's sort of spoilers should, for our WWC. Should we put our WWC hats on and just like get into the WWC of it all? Yeah, this one I wanted to point out because I, I was kind of curious what Tammy's take on it was. So uh, this is a uh, what's new in macOS. That's not what I'm going to talk about. I want to talk about the oh, the deprecated and removed APIs, which is deprecation of OpenGL and OpenCL. So they're saying... Oh, I have a whole thing on that. Yeah, they're well, saying um, games the and graphics intensive apps that use OpenGL should now use Metal. And similarly, apps that use OpenCL for computational tasks should now adopt Metal and Metal performance shaders. Hmm. I'm all for it. I I, lo- I like Metal. You know, it, it's for what I need to do, I don't need Metal. Like, I'm just throwing a couple sprites on the screen and, you know, I'm not doing heavy, intensive things like that. But if I were, or if I was creating my own game engine or something along those lines, Metal would be my choice. Metal is part of the Apple ecosystem, so it makes sense to use it. It makes sense that they're get, getting more involved in metal in le- because it's theirs and less involved in everything else. That said, I was extremely disappointed to not see 
any sprite kit or any scene kit or any gameplay kit or anything being talked about at WWDC. However, when I went to look at all the different API changes and things like that, I noticed that there were a lot of modifications to those frameworks. So I got to thinking, well, they're doing all this deprecating of these things that are not part of their ecosystem. They're putting all this time and clearly all this effort into making metal the next big thing, right? I mean, practically half of WWDC is all about metal, all about machine learning, all about, you know, building up the Apple ecosystem to do more intense things. And I'm thinking to myself, hopefully what they're doing is they're getting their stuff, their foundation built and worked out and solid. And then next year, they're going to swoop in with these huge updates to Sprite Kit and Scene Kit now that they don't have to worry about OpenGL or OpenCL and they can just focus on getting it to work with their stuff. That's what I'm hoping. That that doesn't mean to say that you know they're going to ever give Unity a run for their money or anything like that. It goes back to what I said earlier. There isn't just one tool for every job or one tool for a single job. There's multiple tools for multiple jobs and sometimes you pick a different tool. So I think that's, or at least I hope that's what's going to happen with Sprite Kit and Scene Kit and more metal stuff. And I don't mind seeing OpenGL and OpenCL going away on the Apple platform. Right now, there was some talk. Um, Jeff Biggles was talking at 360i Dev 2016, I think, about, he talked about metal. Or, sorry, he talked about, um, um, what's the group called? Um, there's, a, there's another name for it. Um, but anyway, he talked about, um, there's another open for, like, because OpenGL and OpenGL and OpenGLES and all those kind of things, they're like, a, they're open technologies for doing this. What's this kind of rendering called or um, computer work called? Help me out here. You guys don't remember? Sorry, I was muted. Are you talking about the GPU versus the CPU? Uh, yeah, no, there's, a, there's a terminology for it. I'm just trying to... 2015, maybe that was the one. And, I don't know, 3D graphics, computer graphics. Yeah, I'm just no, hang on, I'm, pulling, I'm pulling up my article here. Give me a second here. This will Core processing? Stone. I don't know what you're, what you're getting at there. Hang on, hang on, hang on. There's a term for it. Rendering pipeline? Biggles. Biggles. Oh, here it is. Okay, uh, supercomputing for iOS with... Oh, he saw, it was a talk about metal, and he but he also talked about other... Uh, Vulcan Project, I think, was one from AMD well, that's and Google. kind of where it started. That was ages ago. Is that where metal came out of, or...? or? My understanding is yes. Right. Okay. Yeah, because he says yeah, here. Would... Yeah, I'm looking. I'm reading from my my 360i dev um, uh, talk for, or article from 2015. Tw- uh, yeah, 2015. Uh, talked about the CUDA chip initially, and then Apple introduced OpenCL, which permitted to use the same code on any hardware. Open. Yeah. Um, and then AMD brought out Mantle API in 2013 for standard CPUs and embedded GPUs. Apple followed with Metal for macOS, and then the Vulkan project began to use AMD's code in Google. But he was saying Jeff's hope was that Apple would adopt Vulkan in the future. So I guess they're 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 not going to do that. They're going to continue with their their um with metal, right? I guess that's where they're they're gonna is that so can is metal something that can be used on other platforms or is it only within the Apple ecosystem? Metal is only the Apple ecosystem. Oh, okay. Yeah I'm kinda of confused on it because the way you asked your question, Tim, so it is only on the Apple ecosystem. It's unclear to me if, if it can only be on Apple's ecosystem versus like I don't know right. if they decided to license it for Windows usage or something. Right. Well, right. that's like that. It's kind of like the equivalent of DirectX. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Which is, I forget. Windows equivalent. Oh, is it? Okay. Oh, DirectX is their, their sort of 
com- computer heavy calculation y kind of stuff. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. And, and it's very similarly proprietary to its uh, operating system uh, as opposed to OpenGL, which in its name, it says open. It's a, it's an open standard that anybody can implement. So there's a couple of videos that, at, uh, like I said, there's a number of videos on metal in, in general at WWDC 18, 2018 this year, but um, there's a couple, there's one particular talk, which is called, I think, uh, metal for open GL uh, developers. So, so switching to metal is not a huge giant ordeal, Tammy? Wait, say that again. <laughs> switching to metal is not a giant ordeal? Switching from open from, GL from, to from metal? From open GL to metal, yeah, yeah, yeah. In your Sorry, I, t- I must have zoned out. Um, I don't know. I've never actually done it myself. I've never switched from open GL to metal. I've always just jumped in and used metal. Um, now, what I can tell you is from one of the sessions that I watched earlier today, they were saying that they've added some things that will make the switch easier. I don't know what those things are. I remember when I first started working with metal, it was kind of complicated. And then they came out with, um, you know, model IO and, and metal kit and all that stuff. And I was like, Oh, well, this is a whole lot easier. So based on that, my assumption is they probably added more of that to make it even easier. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cause I remember I did some way, way back, you know, like 2011, 2012, probably did looked at some open GL stuff, right. For animations and things like that. And it was just, it was difficult, right. Um, it was very, you know, very mathy, right. I just remember having to figure out where things were and there was, there was a whole lot of, you know, arrays of, of coordinates and things like that had to be fed into shaders and all that kind of stuff, right? Well, now you know if you want to learn more about metal that Ray Wunderlich just came out with a metal book, right? Did they For really? Access. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing the Final Pass editing on that <laughs> and Carolyn Begbie and Marius, um, how do you pronounce his last name? We'll go with Marius. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, they're, they're authoring the book and and so far, you can get it right now. It's available right now in early access. There are a few chapters out there. Um, but man, it is just, I'm digging what they're doing. Cool. All right. All right. So let's move on to the next story here, Hami, from Daring Fireball. Yeah, I don't want to go too deep into it because, um, you know, we're going to end up probably talking about it when we go through what was announced at WWDC. Okay, well, why don't we do that? Let's let's just skip this and jump to that. Sure. We'll have it in the show notes for those of you who are interested in reading the, uh, the Wired article. <laughs> That uh, John Gruber is talking about in Daring Fireball. Okay. All right. So, yeah. So, we wanted to talk about um, our impressions of WWC, which is why we're here and probably why you're here listening to this show. So, uh, here it is. Um, mine, it's it's kind of funny Wait, because... WWDC is happening? Sorry? Yeah. Nothing. I'm what, you've been under a, a rock again, Tammy? I'm just being a jerk. Yes, you are. <laughs> you can cut that out. I'm just trying <laughs> to screw with your face. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, anyway, um, yeah. Uh, where was I? Yes. So, uh, thanks, Tammy. That really worked. <laughs> <laughs> Win. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, of course, this week is is the uh, big rollout of uh, WWDC with the keynote and and the State of the Union and all the videos that follow. And there's sort of a general. Uh, Ray Wendelik tweeted out, "What do you think of of WWDC?" And and his in his letter, his newsletter, which he sends out as well, which you can subscribe to. Um, he sort of his general the general impression from the community is sort of meh. You know, like doesn't seem to be anything jumping off the page. But um, and, and 
that was sort of my initial impression because it, it hasn't really sunk in what's going on. And I think once we go through the the, the ten or so points that we have here, um, it may in fact start to gel for people as, as it did for me when I saw a video by Rene Ritchie or just a few, an hour ago. Um, but um, yeah, so it's it's nothing. You know, again, as we sort of alluded to in in the earlier part of the show, there was no new hardware announced, um, and we have been saying for a number of weeks that Apple had said that they were going to focus on on performance and stability, um, which I think they they kind of have done here. And, and they even you know the beginning of the keynote starts off with that sort of whole whole positioning, right? Um, so why don't we do you want to go through these things one at a time, or do you want to give a general impression before we dig in, Jaime and Tammy? Jaime, I think my general impression. I was actually really surprised by how much they announced. If I'm if I'm being honest, not to say that I was blown away or anything. Like I don't want to overstate it, but we knew going into this that it was supposedly a um, hey, all the fun stuff was moved over to 2019. I don't know what's left here or being a quote unquote like snow leopard style release where you know we're focusing on performance and stability. They actually released or announced a lot of really yeah. interesting things. Um, smaller things, of course, not not the sort of things in general that uh, you would hang your hat on like, holy smokes, like there's going to be a thousand articles written about this sort of thing. Um, but it certainly wasn't a crickets chirping for two hours sort of keynote either. Yeah, it was kind of like eating your vegetables. Okay, we have to eat our vegetables now, right? And, and but the, you know, the chefs at Apple kind of, you know, really did a nice job on the, on the you know, the, the asparagus and the broccoli and the bro- Brussels sprouts and, and all those sort of things that people cringe about having to eat. They did a really good job of them. And, and uh, so it actually became quite, quite appetizing too. And of course, there were some surprises in there too. So uh, we should, we can go through this. So, but generally before we do that, uh, uh, Tammy, do you have something to contribute to your general impression of this year's WWDC? Of course, we're doing it not having been there. We're sort of satellite viewers, right? What do you think? Yeah, after watching the keynote and the platform State of the Union, my initial impression was, what? No sprite kit? (laughs) No scene kit? No no gameplay kit? And then I was like, oh, but these new things that they're doing in AR kit, that's really cool. And wow, all this focus on metal, that's really cool. And although I don't do a whole lot of machine learning or core ML, you know, I have an interest... But even that, I thought, was really cool and remarkable. And yet, there's still this um, underwhelming feeling that I have over it all, and I don't quite understand where that's coming from. Because, you know, even the stuff that they they did release that is like novelty and cool, like with the uh, the extensions to the animojis and being able to make a 3D avatar on the fly, and the whole FaceTime with multiple people thing. Yeah, that that stuff's all really cool and it's it's not ex- even dark mode that that's really cool but yet i still feel underwhelmed and i i can't quite figure out why someone did say to me that it kind of feels like being a kid at christmas getting some really cool stuff but not appreciating it that's right. <laughs> that was a really good explanation i thought not mine it came from somebody else it's like getting socks and underwear at christmas you mean or exactly like you like eating vegetables although i, I like vegetables tim yeah no but i mean but generally speaking Speaking like, you know, kids don't like them, right? So, or they don't tend to like them. It isn't how they're indoctrinated. Um, all right, so let's go through some of the things that they talked about. So, we'll just use uh, this list here that I've stolen from Rene Ritchie. Apologies to Rene. Of course, we'll put a link to the show notes of Rene's talk. He, his his talk is, is his video is actually called Finally. And his point was there's a whole list of things that he's wanted to see Apple come up with over the last few years or so. And, and finally, they've done them, right? So, uh, he starts talking. Uh, first of all, the first point is about performance. And, and I believe 
believe that um, uh, Craig Fader jumped right in with the performance thing, right? So um, showing, like he showed an array of devices and, and the current iOS 11, which, or sorry, sorry, iOS 12, which has been announced, and Mac OS um, 14, are we 14, Mojave? Yeah, 1014. Yeah. 1014 Mojave is, uh, supports um, ev- all the Macs back to, oh, I've got to find my notes here now, all the, way, all the Macs back to 2012, I believe, and 2011 iOS devices, or is that backwards? Mm, just let's see. There. Yeah, you're probably pretty close because the iPhone 5S is, I think, the lowest or oldest device for iOS 11, if I'm not mistaken. And that's probably around 2013, probably, I would think. Yeah, let me, I, I actually have the, the number here because I, I just sent myself my notes from um, work because I did it on my work computer. But yeah, so I'm rocking a mid 2012 MacBook Pro and, and driving it into the ground until Apple hopefully announces something refreshed and new for the, the lineup later in the fall. And I was glad to see that my machine makes the cut for like just barely. It's literally the last one they will support for Mojave. Huh. Oh, here, let me, let me look for WWDC maybe. Where are those notes? Well, you look at that. Um, the focus on performance <laughs> beyond just like, you know, actually supporting those devices. So I wrote down some notes on what Craig Federighi said. He said um, uh, forty up to 40% faster app launch, up to 50% faster keyboard display, 70% faster camera, uh, two times faster share sheet display under load, and two times faster app launch under load, where um, he showed a curve of like typical CPU performance is slow to recognize that load is occurring, and then it's got a big hump, and then it sort of slowly tapers off, whereas iOS 12 will jump that performance uh, boost earlier, which overall apparently saves uh, time and energy. Yeah, and then also the fact that he said that in the keynote that, you know, the team, they have a tight collaboration with their chip team because they, you know, they, they basically build the ecosystem that they play in. Um, they, the, they said, he said in uh, Rene's talk, mentioned that he, they have a team that specifically focuses on making sure that the um, OSs are, are performant on the older devices. So they actually have a focus on that. And I mean, so the intention isn't that, you know, they're going to like force you into, which is everybody kind of sort of says, oh, they force you to upgrade to the next, you know, they want you to buy a new computer, but no, they're actually trying to make sure that the experience is just, you know, still still delightful on the older equipment so that in hopes that you'll buy your next purchase will be with uh, be a new Apple device, right? Not that they're forcing you there, right? So, and I appreciate the fact, I mean, like, you know, I'm running a 2013 um, MacBook Air myself, and, and uh, I'm happy to see that it still supports the older stuff, right? So, yeah, cool. Um, the next thing that they talked about was ARK, ARKit 2, which is uh, quite an improvement on the previous one. Um, we have objects in the screen can reflect other objects. Uh, virtual objects in the screen can reflect other surfaces and lighting from uh, other things in the environment. So Apple's reading that kind of stuff in as well. And they have, a, you know, they had did a big Lego demonstration with the 3D object detection and recognition of other other objects in there because I think Air Air 1.5 brought in vertical surfaces as Greg mentioned last week, and, and now they're able to recognize other devices in the in the view. Um, they also had the new format, or not new format, but they've adopted the open open source format uh, USDZ, which is a universal screen description format, and then Z is for zipped, um, which will allow you to embed 3D experiences or AR experiences into emails and on websites and things like that as well. And that's uh, developed in, in concert with Adobe and Pixar, right? Also shared experiences, and they had that whole demo with the game where uh, not only with the Lego guy, two guys playing like with Lego, they had the actual Lego, physical Lego, and they had Lego characters in the keynote, right? And uh, also they had that sort of table tennis kind of slingshot, they called it, or I forget what they called 
it, but uh, that AR game. And, and not only can two people play individually on two different devices, but you can also have people observing the same game as it goes on, right? So, And they seem to be, as Renny Richie says, they seem to be bringing AR, they're relentless about bringing AR to, to the forefront with, uh, with people. That Swift Shot game you were just talking about is kind of fun. I just loaded it up on my iPad just before the call, actually, and it's really good. I'm impressed with the improvements that they've made to ARKit 2 with regards to the tracking and things like that. I still feel like the technology has a ways to go, but it has it has really improved over the last year. So so what about my, my prediction? So one of my predictions, and then Greg was sort of telling me that I failed, was I said that they were going to come up with some sort of gaming version of ARKit. Does this not count as a close approximate <laughs> we will thing? We will split those hairs when we get to, uh, you may have noticed, the 14th item that oh. I put on there, uh, last week's prediction scoring, because I think people will be very interested to see how we end up scoring things. Hey, I never All had right, a chance okay, to make fine, my okay, predictions. Fine. Can I make them now? <laughs> <laughs> well, it'll have to be on the honor system, right? Um, you'll, be, you'll be like the Martha Stewart of predictors, right? <laughs> you already got you already got one in the oven, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, the other thing they brought, they mentioned, was theory shortcuts, which uh, is it's. I think it's so. Before we dig into that, I have a question for Jaime on this one. But before we get there, um, so yeah, this is basically allows your applications or allows you to have your application um, respond to commands that Siri can can uh, feed into it. So you can if you're like dominoes you can say you know have somebody order their dominoes pizza that kind of thing right um you also have sequential tasks where you can ask uh, have siri perform a number of things you know steps in in what it is like currently siri is kind of dumb she can do one thing at a time and she forgets what you just asked her two minutes ago whereas i guess now with shortcuts you can actually string them together and essentially it's basically workflow for siri is what this has become and and um and as we all talked about before apple acquired workflow a while ago in fact the we're fans of Ayaka Nonaka. Uh, she was actually doing a talk today on on series shortcuts on at Wednesday. Today's Wednesday as we record here. Um, and yeah, they're kind of closing the gap on on what Alexa and uh, and uh, Google Home is doing. So uh, that's where it leads to my next question to Jaime, and that is, what do you think about series shortcuts? Does this match your uh, desire to have um, what do you call them on Alexa sketches or something like that, or skills on the Echo and actions? on the Google Home. Um, yes and no. Yes, in that it, it does provide some of the power of being able to, um, you know, compose your own things. And as you mentioned, they've they've reskinned the workflow app into the shortcuts app, and they've made part of that infrastructure available uh, sort of globally as Siri shortcuts or in Siri suggestions. Um, it's good. Um, it's And we'll get into more of the splitting hairs when it comes to scoring my prediction. Um, it's not quite... It's not quite the same because I was hoping for a, um, a more of a web services oriented play. Um, and Apple is continuing to use the device, the iPhone device as the sort of center of the universe here, um, which has its pros and cons, right? It, it certainly has a, a privacy pro in that you're not sending your data off to some mysterious web service somewhere. And who knows what nefarious things people are doing with that data. That's true. The con is that if you had a, a web service that tells you, I don't know, you know, what's the weather going to be like today? Well, you would more or less develop it once uh, as a web service, and then you can put the little thin candy shell interaction that the uh, Amazon Echo requires and that the Google Home requires. And then you would go develop it completely separately for the iPhone. It's sort of what it feels like, because you wouldn't have 
the ability to send um, arbitrary updates or, or have uh, you know that same information, but you know just put Apple's thin candy shell over the top. It's more like, oh, guess what? You get to go develop this inside of your iOS app, and it also sort of has the the downside, in my opinion, of well, my HomePod, you know, can only be attached to you know one iCloud account, and so if my device leaves the house, nobody else in my house can make use of the services. So, but sorry, reminders aren't available because the phone isn't within range. Like, okay, well, that's good in the sense of privacy, but it also sucks because it, it means that it's degraded performance or degraded capability because of something like, oh, this iPhone is not available. So it's sort of mm. weird. It, it, it's cool that it works at all. It's it's technically a developer story, if we want to call it that, for the HomePod, but it's not quite what I was hoping for. Right, right. But I think it's cool, though. I, I think I saw some of the talks where they were saying that, you know, you can, as much as I said before, you can empower your apps by having it respond to Siri commands, kind of like the, what do they call them? Um, in, what do they call them? Instances or no? Intense. Uh, intense, yeah. So mm-hmm. you have Siri, Siri intense through this easier to, easier to use mechanism. But I, I did, I thought I saw them say that, that it could share, you could have other people's um, uh, shortcuts appear in your app, like like from other third parties, right? Like not just Jaime's shortcuts, you know what I mean? Like you could have some of my shortcuts in there. Because you know how you, you sent me that that um, one particular workflow from, from your app, right? Which uh, we can talk about uh, mm-hmm. where you, you ask Siri to tell you or some or, or I guess a voiceover to tell you who the best uh, podcast for iOS development is, right? That one? Right, right. Uh, a, a workflow that I stitched together from the components that the workflow app provides. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, so th- there are some bits that are pretty cool. Like I don't want to downplay the fact that you can create your own key phrase for mm-hmm. these things, which like user selected, not developer selected. So right. um, I can imagine that people who have a uh, an IoT, an Internet of Things teapot, are almost certainly going to have tea, Earl Grey, hot as their trigger, right? <laughs> because why not? If you're a Star Trek fan, why wouldn't you make it that way? And and if I'm, uh, you know, the maker of, you know, IoT pot, you know, I don't want to get sued by Paramount and CBS. I couldn't make that the trigger phrase. But you, as an individual user, you have the ability to do that. So that's pretty cool. That's something that I've not yet seen on the Google Assistant or the Amazon Alexa. I don't know. I think Tammy's still wearing her tinfoil hat when it comes to Siri, right? Yeah, I'm going to need two tinfoil hats now. <laughs> yeah, the other the other interesting thing that they came up with is screen time, which is basically uh, allows you to, I guess, be more uh, aware of how much uh, um, square time you're having. A friend of mine calls it square. No, no more square for her kids. But um, yeah, it keeps track of how much time you're spending in particular apps. And you can look at reports on, on that kind of stuff. And uh, they've added a do not disturb kind of mode as well. So you can you can tell it what, you know, you can sort of set the notifications as to how they're notifying you, right? I believe there's group notifications too. I'm not sure if that's part of the same process, but um, uh, gives you sort of, uh, as Renee Richie says, it gives you the information to make informed decisions about the use of your devices. You know, so it, gets, it can sh- you can set time limits on how much you want to use an app. And um, I, there's one thing, like you, you can tell it when, you're, when it's bedtime to not bother you or show you notifications and that kind of stuff. But my solution for it is I just leave my phone, you know, in the basement and don't take it to the bedroom with me. But I guess that's some people just don't do that, right? So what do you think about screen time? Tammy, you want to go first on this one? Sure. I think screen time is a good idea. The way that I think about screen time and what Apple can monitor, I, I think it'll be good for people who are trying to monitor those things. It's it's difficult to figure out where you're spending all your time. You know, are you spending all your time scrolling through Facebook or are you spending all your time looking at your Trello boards? Because sometimes what, what we're actually doing feels very much different. 
different than what we think we're doing. So that I think that'll help, you know, adults manage their time better. I think that if if you are concerned about what your child is doing, you know, on their phone at their screen and and you don't have any other way to find that out, then cool for you, you know, use that for that. Me personally, scares the hell out of me. Um, you know, because sure <laughs> I can use it to better myself or to help, you know, with what my children are doing. But if I can see it, you know damn well someone else can see it. And it's a big security risk for me. And yeah, I'm sure that they got everything encrypted and only you have access to this special key. But still, I just, I don't trust it. I don't like it. Well, so for me, like I'm a lazy timekeeper. So um, I used to, I wrote my own timekeeping app when I was, when I was working for myself and I need to invoice people for my time, right? Um, I actually run an app on here that I got through the setup people and I'm still using setup as we talked about on the show years a year ago or so i think they just had their one year anniversary and they sent me a gift for being uh, on their thing but there's an app called timing and what it does is it basically logs everything i do on my mac and it breaks it down into categories right so you know there's like a web browsing categories and media and there's graphics there's development category you know finance and i even have a podcasting ta- category and so when i want to keep track of how much time i'm spending on things um this this is kind of sort of the same sort of thing this is on running on my mac right and um it looks i can look at how much time i'm spending on things and what what's interesting though is like the you know the, the the assumption by the developers that web browsing is kind of like goofing around right but i do a lot of my work online like you know we do all the podcast producing and and we, we collect stories for notes and so we're trolled through tr- twitter looking for things to talk about and you know read blog sites and that kind of stuff to gather this the information we're using here so that it's not all goofing around right but and then you know when i actually need to turn around and, and um, account for my time. This is, this is a handy tool. So I'm looking forward to um, this tool from Apple, I, and, and I'm hoping it you know, executes better than, than other people's um, use of it. But yeah, I think that you know we can we can tend to because you know, the devices are so pretty. You know, um, like the bug in Bugs Life, we're kind of just drawn to them. And I, I wonder if if that's not a problem for a lot of people that they spend more of their life in front of a, of a device than they do taking in the environment that they're in at this present time, right? So, I mean, how many concerts do you go to these days where people have, I mean, I'm guilty of it too, but you have your, your iPhone up and you're, you're taping the the concert and the concert that you get on the on the iPhone recorded is not the same thing as standing there watching the, the, the artist perform, right? Um, or, you know, you go traveling around, you, you're visiting some great Mecca place and, um, and you're on a, on a trip and, and you're pulling out your phone and just look, experiencing it through the phone, right? So, mind you, AR kit may, may make that in future like hey what's this cathedral and you hold up the ar the camera and it tells you what gives you information from the encyclopedia galactica you can do that now with which apps there's a lot of apps that well i would that's a great use of no, ar I, that's one of the things that i see i don't know what apps are out there now but i know the technology can already do it i mean you can yeah sure yeah because there was an app by yelp years ago that did the same thing right well no i mean apple's ar kit framework and it can already you can so are we allowed to talk about ar kit too on this show yeah like, i don't no, know we how already far you want to go kits. with what's been announced we're finished ar kit we can't talk about it anymore ever <laughs> ever we can never talk about it again we're on this podcast it. we're, we're, it, we're an ar kit free 
podcast from now on. No, I'm okay. kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> so with ARKit 2, you can scan 3D objects and you, you have to do it beforehand. You have to scan them and then it can then later recognize it. But even with ARKit 1.5, you could put, you could preload pictures and use those pictures for image detection. And you can say, you know, hey, detect my image. And when you detect my image, do X, Y, Z and throw, you know, uh, a 3D model of the Sistine Chapel if you take a picture of the Sistine Chapel. Not if you take a picture, but if you scan a picture. I was kind of thinking more from like sort of a museum or art gallery kind of experience where you're walking around outside and you hold up uh, your phone and says, oh, hey, this building was built in, you know, 1930 by Le Corbusier in Paris and, you know, blah, 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 you know. Um, unless you knew that that, you know, I went and saw one apartment that Corbusier built in, in Paris, as a matter of fact, and it's just, it just it's sandwiched between two other buildings that you would never even know that it's an important work of art unless you knew about well, it. Well, using I mean, beacons, you can do it. And in fact... Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, if you, if you held up your phone and, and if you could hold up your phone and it could show you what the sites were rather than, like, almost like a virtual tour guide. can totally you know? do it right now. I know. I know. I know. That's what I'm saying. That's, that's what's cool about it. But I'm, what I'm saying, <laughs> we have digressed from screen time. See? We need podcast time. <laughs> I'm sorry. My head is pounding. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. Anyway. I mean, do you have something to say about screen time? Yeah, I'm, I'm considering how to say it. So, because uh, I'm uh, like a loyal squire, I'm helping Tammy get up on the high horse. Um, yeah, you know, I, I understand the tool. Uh, you brought up a, t- uh, a usage for it that I hadn't really quite considered, uh, more of an accounting basis rather than a uh, sort of Monitoring personal or, health. Yeah, yeah or, or, basis, or yeah. parental control sort of thing. Under his eye, as it were. Yeah, it's, you know, I'm not going to knock Apple for it because I think there are cases where it makes sense to have and, and, and having it available and, and optional is, is good and fine. But I don't know, I guess I grew up in a generation where, you know, my, my cousin and I, growing up, we loved playing the Nintendo. And if you allowed us to, we would just do nothing but that all day. We wouldn't eat, we wouldn't sleep, we wouldn't bathe, we wouldn't do anything if you if you allowed us to do that. Um, there are no controls on it other than like a power button. And guess what? After like two hours, mom and dad be like, hey, y'all need to turn that off and go outside and play. And that's what they did, right? That was that was like parenting back then. And uh, it's not to you say, hang on, I got to save this this game. I can't. Oh, now, man, right? there is no saving. We might say, hey, look, this thing doesn't have a save. Can we leave it on? But we'll go outside <laughs> sort of compromise. Right? There's no save state. This isn't automatically saving like your kids getting off my lawn with your Xbox Live and your PSN and everything. Like, no, it's like, I sure hope you wrote down the, you know, 64 bit character string that makes up the password. Um, right. Yeah. And, and so I can see the like personal responsibility angle to it that, that Tammy um, mentioned. Um, but I think the industry is sort of moving this way, right? Google talked about it at IO that they've got a similar sort of service available for their app, or sorry, for their operating system for Android. So it's just sort of one of those things that I think Apple sort of had to do as part of the keeping up with the times. Right. Well, I think it's about mental health too, like, or whatever you want to call it, like you know, actual health. Like that, I think that was their motivation behind it. As soon as, as soon as he started talking about it, I didn't think about Big Brother or, or my parents watching what I'm doing, although that's very important. I, I do think that it's, you know, it is healthy to go outside and play, to be honest with you. And, and we do, we can tend to get sucked in by the technology. And, you know, because I, I, I remember, like, I was a parent when you were when you were playing on your Nintendo back in the day, Jaime. And um, there was a lot of talk at the time about, oh, video games are going to ruin kids. And yet you look at, you know, where we are today, the kids that played video games back then are, are like the, you know, the people that are excelling 
in in this day and age, right? As in workplaces and and you know whatever, right? So we were wrong about that, but we were concerned about it. But by the same token, though, it it does have a sort of an addictive po- uh, potential, right? There are some some kids that it, it's pretty bad on. You know, you have to sort of really be on top of them about how much time they spend there. Anyway, let's move on because we got a lot of stuff to cover here. We're only on number six. Um, emoji, animoji, memoji, and dev with the hair emoji. What do you think about that? <laughs> I I think uh, putting my Mark, you know, Dr. Mark Rubin hat on, it's sort of weird because it's shown a WWDC. It doesn't, as far as I know, have any developer story. I didn't see it linked to any sessions. Um, it feels well, the more like something... for public, right? We all Sorry? I mean, the keynote is for the public. It's not for necessarily for developers, right? True. So, so there is that, you know, semi-marketing angle, but it also feels like mm, you could have just saved it for September with the iPhone release, right? Because it's, it's not oh, true. something yeah, yeah. that we can deal with. I think the example Mark brought up was sticker packs, where at least we could make those. Ours, I know you can't, you know, uh, create your, like an MTJC branded Memoji that we can offer on the store. Um, I think it's it's really cool. It's, it, it looks really nice. It, it reminds a lot of people of the uh, Nintendo Wii and its Mi avatars, and M-I-I emoji, yeah. avatars yeah. that people have. Yeah. So it, it looks really cool that they showed off the advanced face tracking that they can do and uh, uh, tongue detection so they could detect the tongue is coming out of your face. That's neat. It's neat as a technical demo. It's neat as something that uh, we will all enjoy for the first couple of months, and then we'll probably start forgetting about it. But it, it's still really cool tech. Yeah, you know, it's. Do you remember the AirPlay AirPlay mode video they did last year? This yeah. was around this time. Was that last? Was it? What did the Animoji come out at WWC last year? I believe. No, you know what? It would have been for the iPhone release. Oh, okay. Because you guys the remember Joe and or not Joe, but uh, Dave Wilkes created that video for AirPlay mode, right? Like almost like within the week of it coming out. Yeah, they're both they're both in uh, airplane mode. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I, it's kind of like I again I look at that and you know I, I didn't I mean I know a ton of developers who and I've been following them during the week have, have downloaded iOS 12 and built their emoji and thrown it up on Twitter already. Right. So um, yeah. So I'm looking at you, but um, <laughs> you know to me it's like you know it's it's gimmicky and somebody actually somebody one of the one of our uh, colleagues created a um, an, an emoji with a with a fedora hat on and a gray beard and it looks more like me than it does like them right so but anyway so uh i don't know it's it's interesting and, and i think i mentioned last week that this kind of i my impression is that this is for a different demographic than i'm in i think for sure and maybe mark right yeah i mean it it, it sells iphones um, if people think that that's what they have to do to, to get a new one and certainly they do if they they don't have a um true depth sensor enabled phone it right also shouldn't be discounted as a carrot to get people to install iOS 12, right. not only for you know all the business reasons Apple might want that, but also it's sort of a Trojan horse way of getting people to install a massive security patch update. Right? Like, <laughs> Interesting. He's like, hey, you know, a little little sugar makes the medicine go down, right? And yeah, this Mary is Poppins. how the Oasis starts. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah well, let's move on. Um, FaceTime group calls. What do you think about that? I mean, I know you know Carol uses FaceTime with the grandkids, but that's about the. I mean, other than, you know, we all use Zoom and we all use um, Skype and things like that, usually with the video turned off. By the way, this does support FaceTime audio. I saw somebody ask about that. You know, up to 32 people on a call. Um, Can I be honest with you? I didn't sure. even know it couldn't do it. Yeah, because you remember iChat used to do group chats? Yeah, when, I, when they announced that, I was like, wait, it doesn't do that already? <laughs> I had yeah. no idea. Yeah. This is interesting because I think I had the same idea and we're going to have to fact check this 
in the future. I think when FaceTime was originally announced, it might have had that capability. And this is like the time that, you know, uh, Steve Jobs said, oh, yeah, you know, we're going to make it an open standard. And then it turned out that they were running afoul of some sort of patent somewhere. Oh, they had to redo the way that FaceTime uh, protocol worked. And that probably is where they lost the group capability, if it ever had it at all, because it's well, sort of lost it, it didn't have it on the Mac, though. I do remember they used to, used to have, be able to have three or four people on the Mac, and you had that sort of parallax, you know, sort of fake perspective where the person in the center would be square and the rest would be on an angle. Don't you remember that? You'd have, like, yourself plus three other people on the call. Like the iChat days? Was that was yeah, that yeah, yeah. by that's, FaceTime that's, at that yeah, point? That's, I think that's where FaceTime came from, wasn't it? Isn't that what FaceTime is? I'm not sure. Again, it's lost in the, uh, Annals in the of mists time. Of, of time, the history. Go back into the Wayback Machine and look it up. Yeah, yeah. It, the, the UI people were sort of picking on, but like, how are you going to show 32 people on a face call, time call on a phone and have it yeah. make some lick of sense? Um, I think they probably did as best as they could, unless they wanted to do, like, I don't know, just a grid Brady Bunch mode. Um, well, the look is very similar to, maybe that's one of the features they'll add later, but that's the look is very similar to um, Google Hangouts, right? On on the desktop, I think, right? Where you've got, you've got the people at the bottom who are sort of um, on the roster of people who can talk, right? We see uh, they just did a pod, live podcast on com. They just did an issue where they talked about uh, WWC themselves, and they had a panel of, of speakers across the bottom. We used to use it back in the day, but it became really problematic, and we stopped using it. But uh, remember those days, Tammy? I do. I do remember those days. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, so... You're not going to sing a song? Isn't there a song you can sing about those days? Uh, no. Oh. <laughs> what were you thinking? I wasn't thinking anything. I thought for sure you would have known something. Oh. It oh. just seemed like an appropriate place for you to start randomly singing. Oh, like the, the theme for Mall in the Family, maybe? Yeah, something. <laughs> Boy, the way Glenn Miller played. <laughs> Songs that made the hit parade. Guys like us, we had it made. Those were the go. days. Those were the days. All right. Uh, what about walkie-talkie? What do you think about that one where you can talk to each other? Like, I guess Jaime and I could have a chat using our Apple Watches and Mark can't talk to us because he doesn't have Nokia one. Nokia was doing that back in the early 90s, weren't they? Maybe. We yeah. were talking about that. The, the uh, Apple Sherlock's uh, Nextel with its push-to-talk little chirp. You know, predict, hey, yeah. do right, we have right. enough toilet paper? Predict, no, we don't. Get some. Predict, <laughs> okay, I'm going to get some dinner on the way home, too. Do you remember people oh, having hey, this conversation? Oh, that's a great use case. Toilet paper. And do you need it? Because my wife, all the time, she, like, she'll be at Shoppers Drug Mart, which is our, our uh, what do you call it in the States? Um, Walgreens, right? Um, I get this, you know, hey, do you need anything from Shoppers all the time message on my on my, my wrist and my phone? Um, yeah, that brings up a good point, which we haven't really talked about here, is, is I mean, it was almost like uh, WWDC Sherlock days, right? Because they Sherlocked a whole lot of things, right? Like one thing after another seemed to be they were, I mean, it seemed like they were Sherlocking um, uh, workflow with, with serious shortcuts, which in fact is workflow, right? But didn't you find that this this year? Yeah, they also showed, uh, Craig, Craig Federighi showed how the camera could measure things using ARKit. Right, So yes, sort of Sherlock's right. a lot of those measurement apps that came out. I showed my husband that tonight and Sherlock's his measuring tape. He was like, what? How did you do that? Witchcraft. <laughs> Witchcraft. Oh, so you mean you did it with your phone, not with your... Uh... It's pretty accurate, too. Like, we, we were measuring a book. Like, I got a book and put it on the pool table, and I got my iPad, which doesn't have the best camera. I, I don't want to put the beta on my production iPhone 10, so I have to use the iPad for testing for now. But I put a book on the pool table. He got his measuring tape out. I got my iPad out. I did a quick measurement. I was off by half an inch, and he yelled. At, he didn't yell, but he was making fun of me. He's like, oh, ha, 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 AR kit. It doesn't do anything 
anything. I'm like, no, wait, I, I just wasn't being patient enough. And this second time around, I, I didn't like over patience myself, but I, you know, paid more attention and the accurate, uh, excuse me, the measurement was accurate at that point. Yeah. yeah really I did cool. see, I did see something about the, I think it was in the, so in the talk show, he had a couple of people, the, the, uh, I think the VP of AR and VR and one of the marketing guys was on the talk show and they were talking about, um, this measuring tape thing. And there was one thing that Craig, I don't know if Craig mentioned it or not, but there's some, um, uh, technology like that they're using to sort of make sure that they, the measurements are accurate, whether, you know, whereas you're, when you're using the camera, you're using, you're just kind of measuring in 3d space. Right. But, uh, there's like a little crosshair where you, where you sort of snap the line. Right. Um, but there was some, there was some other thing. Maybe I'll have to look it up for our fact check next week and, uh, talk about it. But yeah, well, let's move on to, to Atmos, Dolby Atmos. What do you think about that coming to the Apple TV, TV OS? I don't have an Apple TV. Um, I think it says a lot that they didn't announce anything about TVOS itself, uh, like for developers. <laughs> and I think had they not talked about Dolby Atmos coming and, and you know, seamlessly upgrading your uh, your iTunes library, it would have been one of those TVOS. Hey, it still exists. Okay, thanks. Bye. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. there, there's a couple of uh, sessions on TVOS, actually. There's a couple of design sessions, I think, and technology sessions. But according to Brandon Ritchie, this makes with Dolby Atmos and what's the, what's the Atmos sound thing that they do? Um, Dolby or some other sound. This is a Atmos's sounders. Is it what is it? Picture picture. Oh, like HDR. No. What's what is Dolby Atmos? There's, there's two. There's something they announced last year in the Apple TV 4K, and this 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 is the second part of the deal, right? Anyway, he was saying that this makes us the highest quality stream box streaming box out there. What do you think about that? Oh, they are, they already have the audio. This is this is video. This Dolby Atmos thing, right? Yes. No. Actually, no. I'm confused because I thought the Atmos was the audio part and that they had the HDR high dynamic range stuff oh, okay. already in the Apple TV. Okay, well, Again, whatever. I don't own one, so, <laughs> so my memory is, is kind of hazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but okay. you, you two have one, right? I, I have the developer one from the first rollout. I think Tammy uh, does too. I have the same one, don't I? Yeah, you don't have 4K though, right? No. Because I don't have 4K on mine. All right, let's move on. TVOS, it, it's, still, it's still out there. It still exists. <laughs> still exists. I mean, it got more of a mention than HomePod did on uh, on the stage, so there's, there's Home what? What was that? Home home what? Home pod. <laughs> okay, just checking. So uh, this brings us to dark mode. So what do you think about dark mode? So okay, here I have to say this. I know everybody at work uses you know the black the, the dark mode on their Xcode and whatever. I don't. I just I, don't. I just leave mine on the default. I just I'm happy with that. It works fine. You know, I have enough problems with Xcode as it is. Um, I failed an interview once because they handed me the computer I already was in dark mode and I couldn't work on it. Um, anyway, so what do you what do you what do you think about dark mode for the Mac? I, for the dark for the Mac sounds kind of cool. I have an opinion on that. I think that it's cool that that you can do it. I don't know why it took them so long to implement it, but I don't know what was involved in doing it. So I guess I probably shouldn't complain or guess what took so long. But I'm glad that it's, it's here. I personally won't use it. But yeah. The, the, so someone was someone I know switched it on today and they were using it and they said that it's really great until you open up a web page and get blinded. Right. Right. Yeah. So so the big thing was was yeah that's true, a good point. They. Uh, 
um, they have a number of sessions this this time on um, how to uh, modify your macOS apps to make them look better under dark mode because there's, there's a whole you know contrast and complementary colors and if you know if you have a, a light color on a on a dark button and you switch to switch the modes you need to change them around and you also need to change your icons if they're like a, a key line icon you need to make it a, a solid fill icon and it's kind of like iOS 7 for Mac OS in terms of in terms of the amount of work you need to do to make your app compatible with with dark mode it's kind of like they've entered they've at, you know, as it is we have a hard hard enough time getting people to write apps for Mac right and now they've got this this they've added this dark mode which creates a challenge for the those developers more work for them basically to, to make their their apps compatible oh, see, with now, dark mode. I was looking at that completely in a different way okay right? I was thinking hey yeah it's really cool that you implemented dark mode I'm not too excited about that something I'm not going to use and come on how hard could it have been to do it what I was excited about to see with dark mode was all of the tools that they added in Xcode to make your app compatible with dark mode right, or right. to take advantage of dark mode I didn't see it as necessarily a way to scare developers away or to, to make them well no I'm not saying scare them away but but you, you know kind need of to support it though is it is supporting it a requirement because if supporting it is a requirement then yeah that's a real pain in the ass but if not they've added some pretty sweet tools to make it somewhat straightforward to get your app to go dark mode that's true but 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 uh, I think Carolyn mentioned it on on the slack that it's a lot of work to make things dark mode right like that and that's what I'm getting at it's like it's not like it's kind of like you're you're almost obligated now to do it it's like you know um, they've added this dark I mean and again again I'm not opposed to dark mode at all myself but you know if I was a Mac developer and I had my little my little project out there and I was making a nickel a month off of it you know I wouldn't be too excited about having to now support and get bad reviews because I'm not supporting dark mode you know like like that's what happens right people expect that you know things are just going to magically roll along and they don't realize that there's some developer effort involved in doing this somebody has to take the time to, to now implement this and I'm not saying it's a bad thing like don't get me wrong I'm just saying it, it does it does add an extra level of work right it's like requiring people to support the super retina display on the iPhone 10 which we all have to we all have to you know cross that bridge at some point in the, f- in the near future right you're right they yeah, may make right. it you know it's it's kind of like okay and the, well, the other thing we haven't talked about is 32-bit mode which is Mojave is the last OS that's going to support 32-bit apps I'm already getting the developer shaming every time I open up apps that, that don't have uh, developer mode I was playing like just to clone the MTC MTGC logo or letter lettering onto the WWDC artwork to, for for last week's thing. I had to open up my Strata app that I have that I bought on the Apple Store, and it's not 32-bit compatible. And so, I mean, sorry, it's not 64-bit compatible. So I got the, every time I open it, I get the developer shaming message, right? Um, and that's going to happen. And then you know, once I realize that time marches on and all that kind of stuff, but um, adding dark mode has added work to developers' uh, workload, right? Yeah, but it's dark mode. <laughs> yeah. That's what all the kids are using these days. Yeah, I know. Well, it's those crazy kids, and I talked about them. So well, let's ask the other crazy kid over there. Jaime, what do you think about it? Yeah, it's pretty funny because I have um, I have our Google Doc up with our show notes, and I also have my own notes that I did in Markdown from uh, you know watching the keynote and watching the platform stay of the union. So the Google Doc is blinding white, and my show, the uh, personal notes that I have 
familiar are perfect dark mode within Visual Studio Code. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely going to be jumping on the dark mode bandwagon because I uh, I have been one of those developers who uses the midnight theme, uh, the dark theme in Xcode. Um, but here's the thing. I don't mean to interrupt you. This is what drives me crazy about the whole thing. We can already do this in most of our apps that we use. We can already skin it the way we want. I get that not everything skins to the colors, but when you, I, I don't know, it's just, it, uh, the whole thing blows my mind. Never mind. You can just cut this out. Forget I even, I'll mute you. <laughs> I'm just going to go I, home. I don't want to play anymore. Dark mode. I can't even like have a conversation about it because in, in the same sentence, I can tell you I love it and hate it and, and still be confused. <laughs> See? Sorry, I may. <laughs> no, I think it's good because I, 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 I viewed it as generally positive as a as something for users to have. It's, it's not as if dark mode is the default or the only option. Um, I hadn't really thought about the uh, developer checkbox aspect. And then that definitely is a real thing. And I think um, it will be one of those things that makes people consider like, well, should I do this part as an adjustment or should I just start fresh and new? It's certainly a lot of the things that Apple does are very focused on if you are building a brand new app, here's what you do. And I don't think they spend as much yeah. time on like, hey, you've had this app for 10 years. Here's how you can easily migrate it to something new. Yeah. Oh, we should talk about that too. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I thought, didn't we have like a dark? Um, I thought we had a dark mode in, and like where you can you make your menu bar dark or something like that. Didn't we have that already? So I'm not sure what the equivalent is on macOS, but iOS has had the invert colors, which yeah, that's a, it's kind of more like a film negative. It, well, it's an accessibility thing, right? Yeah, it doesn't really do it in any sort of like sensible way, you know, by default in apps. No, like but that, that's to. for that's for that's for people with visual impairment who who have like macular degeneration or whatever, and they can't they can't deal with the brightness of the screen. They need to have the color reverse so they can read the screen properly, right? Yeah, but it, it, it has some some weird things that you, you have to deal with, like for images uh, came to mind that like images would show like negatives by default unless you explicitly went out of your way to change that setting. Yeah. Um, but I don't I don't know that it was going to ever be an easy thing to do. Um, funny enough, just today while walking to the dog I was listening to, um, which podcast was it? I think it was What the Tech with um, Paul Therott. And Paul Therott is a longtime time um, Windows sort of observer. Um, he's got Windows Weekly on uh, the Twit network and uh, that he does with Mary Jo Foley. And his take on it was kind of interesting where he said, you know, this isn't exactly new. Like Windows has had dark mode uh, and Windows Phone has had dark mode for like a decade. Uh, but guess what? It really sucks on Windows and Apple got it right was his, oh, really? was his hmm. take on it. And, and granted, he wasn't talking about it from a developer perspective like we are. He was talking about it more from a user perspective that it will be somewhat more consistent. It, granted, yeah. on the back of developers going in and upgrading, but um, I don't know that there was an easy way to deal with it, right? Like like we just mentioned the inverted mode, inverted color mode that, that does some really bizarre things from yeah. from my standpoint, because I, I don't have the problem that you mentioned. I think it was what, macular de- degeneration? That's one um, of them, yeah. But it's probably, uh, uh, if not a lifesaver, a uh, daily well-being sort of thing for people who do need that option. And, and hopefully this will be something kind of in between for, for those folks. It's better on your eyes overall, like to, to be looking at a dark screen and looking at white type on like looking at looking at dark mode is actually better, more relaxing for your eyes and eye strain and all that kind of stuff, and maybe even long term eye, eye health or whatever. But but what's interesting about what Apple's doing, and, and from my artist perspective, I'll put my that hat on for a minute. Is they're they're teaching us in these sessions to make decisions about how colors interplay with the dark mode, and they're they're talking about how they you know they have the translucency kind of thing that Apple does to to you know make colors shine through from the desktop or whatever and change the, like they do on the watch too, right? And 
and in iOS, uh, if there's an alert that comes up, they kind of they kind of shadow the color that that's coming through. They have a bit of translucency, right, to make it look seem more natural and that kind of stuff. But they're also talking about like you know, I'm looking at my screen right now and I, I've got my notes app open and I've got this one particular um, uh, article highlighted and it's got you know, so it's got the yellow background and it's got the black type on it. If I switch this to dark mode, it's still going to it's, it's going to be white type on a yellow background, right? White, which is going to be harder to read. So what Apple is teaching people to do is to is to tone down the white type to make it, you know, maybe darker or whatever, more contrasty with the screen in reverse, right? Which is what I'm saying about the amount of work that, that developers will have to do. They'll have to go in and make design decisions about how to change the color of their dialogue boxes and, their, you know, their what colors sit on, what objects sit on, like label decisions with background colors and all that kind of stuff. Um, that's where the extra work is going to come in. So, I mean, it, it does look it does look cooler, better, smarter, faster, whatever. But I think it, it's gonna it's gonna add some some time to uh, developers' days, right? So, and hope to, who's paying for those changes is the big question I always like to ask. Anyway, let's move on to the next thing. Which um, can we go backwards? We somehow skipped a, a couple of ones. How did we? What list. did we skip? I've got them highlighted. Uh, Coromel two. Does anybody want to talk about? Oh, that Oh well, we skipped that. One. We skipped that one. Yeah, yeah. How did we skip that? I just assumed you were winging it. We went straight from AR Kit two over to series shortcuts. How about you? Anybody? McFly? I mean, I guess I can't. <laughs> I thought Tammy might jump Bueller? in, but uh, I'll go for it. Um, so Coromel two is has got some nice things in that it. Um, one really nice thing was the fact that they're doing what do they call it? keep calling it like quantization that it, you know reduces the size of your of your uh, models that you would have installed. Like one right. thing yeah, that yeah. was a, a sort of a big problem with the first go around of Coromel was hey this Inception V three things really cool. Oh, guess what? It's like 100 megs. My, you know, 500 kilobyte app is now a 100 meg app because I included this model. And they're doing some interesting tricks to make it so that your models can come down to a handful of megabytes. They showed like some example that was, it was ridiculous. It was like 90 yeah, megabytes. Yeah, it was 90 down, down to, to three, 3 meg or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which, you know, uh, you, you don't want to go crazy and be like, oh, great. Now I can have 30 models. I, mean, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> but, but you could if you were willing to keep the same size or you could have, I don't know, two or three and be in the 10 to 15-ish sort of range for, for these things, which is really nice. And, and sort of paired up with it, that is the create ML, which uh, a nice sort of easy way to use like a like a playground-oriented way to train your models using mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, transfer learning, which I'm probably going to get this wrong. And if anybody on the on the show right now knows, or if not, we'll definitely probably have to ask Mark more about it. But I kind of remember that term being used when I talked about um, Azure's similar service, uh, you know, cloud-based service in that case, where you would, you know, they'd have this pre-trained model and then you would use a handful of photos like you know 50 to 100 photos instead of thousands upon thousands you do that all right i want to recognize hydrangeas or roses or hot dogs or pizza and from what we saw here it looks like they're doing that here too as well right where you can run create ml locally on your laptop rather than having to use an amazon aws or azure or google cloud platform to do that sort of training which is really neat i was going to say it's interesting that that mark and and even matthias was holman retained saying that you wouldn't necessarily do the training on your on your Mac, right? You know, up until this this Create ML tool came out, and I think they're talking more about Mac Pros and, and Macs that have or iMac Pros that that have you know more more capability, more cores, and that kind of stuff to be able to do this kind of stuff. But um, and again, it begs the question: like, how often will you need to train your own model, right? So yeah, I don't 
know that it would be used in the case of real heavy production work. I, th- I think you're better off using the cloud-based solutions for those. Mm-hmm. But I think it still has its place where maybe you want to trial out something, you know, just sort of like a rough sketch or maybe your needs are not very, very demanding, right? I don't think there's I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all. I don't think it's always the right case to use a cloud-based solution, nor do I think uh, that it is never the case to use a, you know, locally trained solution. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I guess it depends on your on your particular market. I mean, because I guess cloud-based solutions, are they not based on sort of gen- more generic things? Like maybe you have a specialist use for it? I, I like think- something within your institutional knowledge of your own your own domain, right? Yeah, it, it's it's not really clear-cut because there are, you know, pre-trained things like, you know, Watson X stuff available, um, you know, that's, that's pre-trained, but you can also do your own training as well. Um, Azure and Google Cloud Platform, uh, probably AWS, they all do this sort of thing where they offer cloud-based solutions for use our pre-trained stuff or go through the effort of training this thing. But in either case, you're paying money, right? Whereas here, you don't have to. If you were willing to just, I don't know, let your Mac sit there and spin overnight, great. You didn't have to pay for anything other than the electricity versus these other cloud provider solutions where, yeah, it might be fractional pennies, but it sort of adds up over time because you you need to run these things for uh, lengthy amounts of time if you're training on large data sets. Right, right. Anyway, we've been going for a while. I want to get through the rest of these uh, things here. Um, the next thing was, was um, they didn't quite come out and call it this, but we're going to call it this Facebook blocking. Um, the idea that social networking uh, tools and other nefarious, like the, basically the fact that you have like, like and um, what's the other thing? Uh, there's tweets, there's Google Plus, there's share on Tumblr, there's share on like Yandex. They can all track what you're what you're you're doing on the web as you move from site to site, so they can sort of keep a history of you as you move around. Yeah, the Google thing, right? We're all we always seem to be signed into Google, um, and you'll now get a warning in your browsers telling you that you know whether you want to opt into this behavior or not based on the sites or whatever cookies they're using and that kind of stuff, right? Um, and the idea that you know the sort of nefarious idea that they can do fingerprinting of you or uh, yeah, fingerprinting where they basically can, can they can extract from you know your computer your your IP um, you know the settings the apps you have installed the browser you're using they can sort of find a way to um, identify you not by name or whatever but they can d- identify you by your gear as you move around the internet they can sort of track you and see where you're going and that kind of stuff and that kind of you know um, is it seems a bit nefarious right in terms of because <laughs> most people don't even know they're doing that right so the idea that uh, that Apple's going to uh, help us help us by uh, hiding these likes and these shares and all this other creepy stuff that happens, right? I'm not buying it. You're not buying that Apple's doing it, or not buying that you need to get less ten. I'm not buying that it's going to work. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you didn't like the uh, tinfoil hats for everyone announcement on this one. Oh, I think I think in theory it would be great. I would love to see that happen, but I don't think that's the only way that they're getting in. I have right. had situations where, like, I I know you're going to think I'm crazy, or than you probably think I am. <laughs> but we've had situations in my family where we've gone into a store, we've talked about a certain technology or whatever and stood in front of this tech and and considered purchasing it, gotten home and gotten ads 
for the that specific stuff. You know, I rented a car from Enterprise more than once and didn't rent in a very long time and then rented another car. And then for two weeks, I was getting ads from Enterprise hmm. so that they're getting to you in a different way. Well, it could also be through your credit card too, right? That's the other thing. People track your credit card purchases as well. Yeah. So it, it's it's nice and it'll reduce some of this stuff, but it's it's not going to, it's kind of like peeing in the ocean. Yeah. Or, it's, yes, it's only going to help a little bit, but every little bit helps. So keep peeing in the ocean, I guess. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right, Tammy, in that um, this only makes it more difficult for... It's like fighting spam, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's a never-ending battle. Um, a couple of things that come to my mind that the Safari folks um, squashed, I don't know, within the last six months. One was people were using um, like non-HTTPS resources on an HTTPS right, yeah. page. And you would use like 32 of those resources and, and sort of randomize which ones were, were getting requested. And you could figure out, oh, well, because of the way that the caching works within the browser, which ones they, you know, which resources they did or did not request because they've already seen it before. Ah, that means this is this user because we've created a 32-bit number off right. of this like crazy hack. And another one that they squashed recently was somehow related to uh, very small iframes with different blending modes that they would pack over each other and like a very small area and then through like css rules i think they could inspect to see what is like the opacity or the color or something of this little area and use that blending as a another fingerprinting bit right oh right uh, very similar they've created a 32-bit you know integer for you and, and whatever you know they would bring through again be like ah there you go now we found you know the same user like they're never going to stop right there's tons of money even in a post gdpr world for this sort of stuff uh certainly there are people who are, you know, they're not going to be stopped by the law by any means. <laughs> so uh, this is, I think, a, a multiple full-time uh, jobs for the uh, Safari folks, the uh, Microsoft Edge folks, and Google Chrome and, and Opera and so forth. So I think it was great that Apple is taking such a harsh stand and, and not just like, oh, there you go. It's like in the release notes for Safari, whatever version of Safari we're on now, um, but that they actually came out in their public uh, marketing face in keynote and said, yeah, we're putting a stop to this, right? They're putting their foot in the ground uh, and drawing a line in the sand and then say, like, this this has to stop no further. Yeah, and people will open up Google Chrome on their, their Macs anyway and, and defeat this whole purpose, right? <laughs> yeah, like people like me who uh, enjoy the fact that uh, other browsers other than Microsoft Edge and Safari were usable for the live streams, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, were they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was using Chrome this whole time. It works great. Oh, really? I thought I thought it had to all be Safari all the time. That was true every other year except this year. It was really? the first year. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, that's good to know. This is the other one that we talked about before, and, and Apple didn't sort of roll it out. They kind of teased it a bit in the in the presentation because they kept bringing up the fact that they had. And I saw Tammy's eyes rolling on the Slack when they brought talked talk about news and stocks and. Oh, I forgot, good forgot, lord! But the reason why they brought this up was it was not so much because they were trying to promote those things, is because they are actually iOS implementations that they're using in the Mac. So part of what we we're talking about with the secret Marzipan project was to bring UI kit into Mac OS so that you could have some of 
the code I guess you've written for your iOS apps available to Mac users. Not, I think there, w- there was a big rumor was about whether what I mean people were speculating on Marsipan meant that that there was going to be one unified operating system. But no, what it is is there. So now on on Mac OS you can enjoy an app kit app, a UI kit, a web kit experience, and even metal apps on the same um, thing. And, and uh, as Randy Ritchie called it, he said Apple was dog fooding the demos with their own apps with this news and and um, it was four of them. What are they news? Um, oh, iBooks was it iBooks? I forget what it was, but uh, they're talking about having all these. You know, they use these as as simple examples of how they could they could implement uh, these experiences inside of um, inside of the Mac experience. So, what do you think about that? I think it's kind of cool, but you know that that you can run certain or you can rebuild your app to run under a UI kit environment on the Mac. What do you think about that? We already do it with Simulator too, right? I think it's kind of cool. I'm looking forward to it. I wish they would have picked different apps to flagship that technology, but that's a personal preference. I understand that it, not a lot of people. Feel that way, uh, but that aside, technology-wise, I'm really excited about it. I want to try it. I want to get into it. I was going to give you some examples of other apps they could have selected, but my iPad turned off. So use yeah, <laughs> your imagination. All right, focusing on yes, performance and stability in iOS 12, no doubt. Yes, it just turned off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I I don't know if this is the exact list, but in my notes, I have Apple News, stocks, voice memo and the home app. Um, they seem like reasonable ones to start the dog fooding because very critically, they did not release uh, whatever it is they end up calling this, right? Like it's still under the uh, Marzipan code name uh, somewhere in that code, as, as folks have, have found out. Um, it's sort of interesting and weird that they said like, hey, we're doing this thing. And by the way, it's coming in 2019. So see you next year for that. But I think it's good in that they're dog fooding it because I think we've seen time and again that the best parts of Apple's frameworks are the ones that they use themselves, right? Like when they started forcing themselves to use uh, something like CloudKit, CloudKit was really good. You know, iCloud, or sorry, uh, core data syncing on iCloud was terrible probably because Apple didn't use it at all. Um, the, uh, oh my God, what did they call it? Uh, like Gameplay Center Kit stuff. I forget what it was. Um, that was terrible, actively terrible because Apple didn't make any games, right? They didn't dog food it. So I'm excited by the fact that they're dog fooding these. And if I was making the technical decisions, I probably would have started with, you know, I, I don't want to knock the teams working on, on these apps, but they're they're not exactly the most complicated apps, right? They're they're relatively straightforward, largely data driven, so that's nice. You know, if you can if you can build the container correctly, it largely just sort of runs itself. So they, they seem like good prototyping aspects rather than like, hey, guess what? We we threw this into Xcode. Whoa, no, the, you just threw it into the wood chipper there, right? The, don't don't jump off the deep end, you know, start kind of small and build your way up. I think the thing that was most baffling to, to me and Greg that we were chatting about is why didn't they bring the uh, the calculator app over to Mac OS or, you know, from Mac OS over to iOS or from iOS uh, on iPhone over to the iPad? Even Weird. Though, even though it's math, I would have preferred the calculator over news. <laughs> they would have a calculator on, on Mac on OS, Mac OS already, right? Yeah, but think yeah, about but it. they don't have one on iPad. Exactly. Like it doesn't come with one pre-installed. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was telling Greg that's because when they announce new iPad Pros in the fall, they're, they're going to say, hey, 
Hey, and guess what? It's got a calculator now. But that's why we record 42, right? That'll be yeah. that'll be their one more thing, which they didn't have this year. And I was like, really? You don't <laughs> Pros need the, calculators, so we've made it available on iPad. By the way, which brings me to, did you see the Apple Design Awards? They gave an award to a maker of a calculator app? Yeah, what what was it called? Cal- Calky or something? Doesn't matter. Like, why, what's wrong with, with um, PCalc, which has been on which has been a great app on, on, on Mac OS forever and iOS and watch and TV and classic Mac, you know? It, it did look, I mean, look kind of cool. I guess, I don't know. Yeah, and do they, I mean, has PCalc changed in any meaningful way in the past year? Like visually, like because that's what the design award is, you know, visual and, and kind of how it works. My, my it understanding like is that it works very well, to me. but I'm it's not sorry. Like, like, did I miss something? Did I, did I stutter? What? I mean, it, it didn't, what, what was so compelling about this particular calculator app? It's like winning for for a timer app, in my opinion, you know? That sounds like next year's challenge, then. When <laughs> the stopwatch app, all it does is <laughs> do splits. Yeah, but it, but it has large type, and, you know, it has gestures, and so it'll win an Apple Design Award? Is that how that works? It's got dark mode. Dark this mode. Is AR kit, you know? Yep, yep. AR kit, yep. This is what I'm telling you, Tim. You need to turn uh, Pi Day Countdown. Natural language processing, exactly, yeah. Pi Day Countdown, Apple Design Award next year. Make it happen. A Siri, Siri integration, so you can... You can say set an alarm for blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Order more dominoes. <sighs> anyway, I, I digress. I let's let's skip the prediction things for now. I, I want to talk about um, panic let's and bare bones. Let's skip the prediction things because Tim didn't have any good ones. <laughs> no, I had a great one. I, I picked gameplay with, with ARKit. And, and apparently I... That's not I, even a thing. What does that even mean? What what I was saying was last week was... Well, I wanted to skip this, but let, what I was saying last <laughs> let's week Let's go to the was, scoreboard. <laughs> let's, let's talk about... Um, We're zero out, of zero, zero out of zero. Zero out of for four, according to Greg. So <laughs> we all suck, and let's go home. I don't even know why. It's like my that. bat. It's my ball, and I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to beat you with your bat, and then I'm going to throw the ball on top. Oh, no, but I want to talk about Panic and Bare Bones coming back to the Mac App Store. Okay. Like we'll the Mac App Store yeah, we'll, let's, let's, I mean, let's talk about them, and then we'll talk about the scoring, because hypothetically, we could have predicted that sort of thing. Okay, so, so but the, yeah, because, cause, okay, the Mac App Store redesign, I mean, please gag me with a fork or whatever, because, like, uh, I can't find anything on my iPhone now. I never go to the App Store now on my on my Get iPhone. Get off my App Store. Exactly. <laughs> Get off my lawn! And and now they've gone and they've, they're they're planning on ruining the Mac App Store now. Anyway, which ruining is it really good though? The Mac App Store? No, it's crappy too. That you mentioned it, but anyway. So, but I think the news for me is okay. Why are Panic and Bare Bones coming back? Is it because of the fact that you now have trial software? Like I think there wasn't there one big 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 bugaboo was the fact that there was no um, upgrade path for for developers. I mean, where we get you know where where a developer could make money for upgrading their app versions? I would have to go research again the specific reasons stated by uh, Bare Bones and Panic. I kind of remember um, sandboxing limitations being sort of a big deal for them. Right. And uh, at least for Panic, I can't remember what, what Bare Bones' thing was. But uh, the official story is coming on that like, hey, you know, Apple has fixed these uh, sandboxing problems and uh, or addressed them in a way that is sufficient and we're, we're moving ahead and coming back to the Mac App Store, which I think on for Panic, they're offering 
two different versions of their software. I think probably so that really annoys one. me about bare bones because I've been I've been a BB Edit user since the beginning. I have stickers from MacWorld 2009 or something like that, right? And so all along I've been paying for the software. But you know I was a paying card card carrying member of the bare bones community, and then um, when they went to the Mac App Store, I forked over my money and bought the Mac App Store version. And then when they got off the Mac Store, I went and bought the next version. And now they're going back. I mean seriously. Like as a consumer, I'm 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 a little pissed off at them, but you know I get I get that developers need to make money and stuff like that, and and I'm happy to support them. But like, pick a model and stick with it. Yeah, I think it's baseless speculation, but uh, these are both you know the kind of companies that that Apple would want to be uh, very friendly with and have them be very happy. So I don't know if uh, there was more to it than what is being stated publicly. I don't want to be too cynical about it because you know people have to do whatever they need to do, and um, it's in, you know, as a consumer side, it's generally very positive to have these things uh, back in the app store. Um, but yeah, I mean, there there is the voting with your wallet aspect, Tim, that is, is rather Yeah, rough. but my, it's like pissing in the ocean with my wallet. You know, there's Visual Studio Code. It works really good, and it's got a dark mode. That I can <laughs> I Visual Studio it's code. free. It's by Microsoft. <laughs> oh, so yeah, so all the more reason to, to, to ditch BB Edit. Yeah, sure. The code is on GitHub, you know, open source, so you can, you can contribute to it, too, if you want. Nice, nice, nice. Anyway. Now, how much would you pay? Zero dollars. <laughs> I just told you it's free. Oh, I, it's not about it's not about it being zero dollars. It's about like I've always supported them. So you know, I mean, they, we were all they, they, I mean, they were the leaders of the indie apocalypse migration away from the Mac Store, right? All right. So I guess well, are we going to talk about our predictions, or are we save that for next week when we have the whole full roster? Well, let's chat about it because we'll we'll still probably follow up with right, okay, uh, Mark right. and Greg on their their you know on the ground impressions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I've got it right in front of me. So Mark said more size classes. <laughs> that did not occur. Like they did not announce more size classes. But he did they get more size classes. We didn't see anything mentioned in the platform state of union. As far as I know, I've not seen anything in any of the sessions like uh, what's new in Cocoa Touch. Um, we we joked about this being like a half or quarter point because um, like Steve Stroughton Smith was like tinkering with, with the Mac OS stuff that has UI kit in it. And he was yeah. tinkering with something that sort of showed like what could be conceived as a size class operation where it shows a overlay panel and then as you shrink it it sort of becomes something different in its layout mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but um, from the from the strict Greg Heo scoring I, I think I agree that that's that's he's a zero too strict, man I'm sorry he's no fun at all <laughs> so you know in the uh, in the official scoring it's a zero but in the uh, winning the hearts and minds of the viewing audience uh, we'll give it half a point okay what's next next on the list is mine I said third-party watch faces. And again, hey. strict scoring, official scoring, zero. They did not announce third-party watch faces. I thought we had, there was some sort of, I thought there was something about watch faces. Well, there you go. So uh, if you believe in the hearts and minds, you know, looser interpretation, you know, uh, street ball rules, um, yeah, it, I would give it like a quarter or, or half a point because sort of Apple's new thing, it seems, is focusing on the uh, the Siri watch face that shows you timely things that you can do with uh, shortcuts and suggestions and that's something we have not had access to before and it's sort of like a customization for a watch face from third parties but it's not really a third party watch face like hey guess what i'm gonna go steal rolex's ip and just make so i was imagining things when i when i thought that i heard um federici say third party and watch in the same sentences he did but 
not third party. And he probably said watch faces, but he didn't say third party watch faces, nor did they give us oh. any sort of capability to make your own okay. watch face. <laughs> you got the buzzer. All right. Uh, the next one is Tim with gameplay AR kit. Again, well, yeah, I was mashing the two together. I was talking about a game playing using uh, bring them upping the game as far as as far as using AR kit in gaming experiences. I wasn't I wasn't labeling it gameplay kit. I didn't get security kit. Well, I kind of sort of got security kit, but anyway, what do you think? So I listened to that episode and I had mentioned you know Pokemon Go kit as a uh, as a rather glib way of describing it, and and I think that is more in line with the flavor and intent uh, that they would have it an enhancement to gameplay kit and or art AR kit that would make it easier to make AR experiences for games and that really didn't occur. They did make improvements to AR kit. Um, as Tammy mentioned they've they've made some under the covers improvements somewhere for gameplay kit but they, they really didn't make a like wow look look how easy you can just like you know call core gameplay AR kit and boom you've got a game the way that you can with like the vision framework right? So strict interpretation i would say zero i give it like a quarter point on the the street ball a quarter rules. portion no quarter portion. i disagree you disagree? which half of it all of it i disagree with all of it what you can't disagree with all of it they're, <laughs> they're on opposite ends of the spectrum it's strict interpretation and looser interpretation i think that ar kit does a lot of simplification already and i think what they introduced in ar kit 2 with the ability to have a shared ar experiences between i think they set up to like six different devices at the same time. That is kind of like bringing a more shared gaming experience. So I think Tim, uh-huh. even though he described it really bizarre, like I still think he needs more points. All right, see, he, all Tim, time, you get, I was an advocate for you, Tim, and you didn't see that. I did see that. Well, who knows? So the rest of it, so Mark at a quarter point, me at, I'm going to call it a quarter point, and Tim, we're going to give you three quarters of a point Ooh, three for, for a gameplay AR kit, because I think given what Tammy said, I would agree that you were much closer, but that's only under the loose interpretation rules. All right, so three quarter. You can portions. thank me later, Tim. <laughs> All right, thank you later. All right, so how did uh, how did Mister Heo do? So Greg had Xcode ten, where the ten is an X. Um, hot reloading, which is so what? we can we can sort of break that down into two. I don't I don't know if that was uh, like his way of sneaking in an extra pick. So it's just Xcode ten with a numeral and or not a Roman numeral. So it gets docked on that one. And then wait, 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 wait. So it is Xcode 10 with one zero. Yes, with one zero, but not Xcode X. Oh, we want Xcode like X. Oh, Mac OS X, Mac OS oh, 10 okay. sort of thing, right? It's not a Roman numeral. Um, okay. And I have my own snarky 101 odds. It gets renamed to 10 code X because we had a lot oh, of fun wait, with that wait. last week. Breaking um, news, breaking news. Hang on, breaking news. App Camp for Girls is live on Periscope for the first time ever. Waiting for it to load. <laughs> Oh, we missed it. This is like James Dempsey in the background, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. That's Jim Del Rumpel on lead guitar. Oh, yes. Anybody in here use court data? Can you hear it? I can. It's a bootleg edition of more than just code podcast. <laughs> right. And I think Gene McDonald is a conditional breakpoint, if I'm not mistaken. 
Podcast died. Oh well. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> what is use of this background music here? Oh, that won't work. Hang, I have to go to stop it. <laughs> we'll bootleg that out just after after I get this done. So where were we? What were we talking about? So we were talking about uh, Greg's. Oh, Greg. Yeah, Greg the loser. How did you do? <laughs> Hot reloading. So we were talking about a uh, a very quick way to reload, very similar to you know the way you can with React Native or Flutter or many other bits that don't require you to stop the simulator and restart it in order to see your changes. Oh, I and, see. Right. Yeah. And they didn't do that. So under strict oh. interpretation, this is also a zero. Um, I don't think it's even a quarter point because even though they are doing things to make you know the operating system faster and an app launches faster, that's really not the same as hot reloading. Mm. All right. So there you go, Tim. Uh, you win with your three quarters point. It wasn't three quarter portions. It wasn't about winning. It was about playing. We're all the game. winners, really. Yeah. So, we're all, yeah, we're all winners. We're all winners. Yes, that's right. Okay, Tammy, this, this is totally in the honor system because uh, you have the the benefit of hindsight. What, yeah, what was would your you prediction? Have Tammy? Predicted, you know, if you were on that episode. If I were on that episode, I would have predicted Sprite Kit and Steam Kit improvements. I would have predicted and? AR Kit improvement. I would have been wrong. <laughs> I would have uh, predicted AR Kit improvements. I don't think I would have. 
have predicted a shared experience. I think that's really cool. That would have, that was and would have been a shock and a surprise for me. I think I would have predicted some metal changes. I would not have predicted the deprecation of OpenGL and OpenCL. So I probably would have fared eh, in the competition. All right, cool. Yeah. Oh, a couple of last hits here too. Touch ID with password autofill. The password autofill stuff was really cool in particular because they opened it up to third parties. Right, so, yeah. You know, you know, our favorite one password, password. Yep. gets to participate in the really fun, hey, we're auto-suggesting a password for you, um, you know, within like your uh, username and password combo when you're logging into an app or website. So that's really great. I love that. I'm definitely going to use that. As I mentioned on Twitter, spoilers, whenever iOS 12 goes to production in September, I will definitely be making that one of my picks of the week. <laughs> well, I also like the, the SMS token. Like if you get a token to log into something or other, you can automatically pop, pop it into the, the field as well, right? Yeah, that's really nice. I mean, certainly there are people shaking their fists right now, but like SMS is not a valid way or a very secure no, way of doing 2FA. Nope. And you're right if you're doing that, but people um, still do it. People still do it and it might as well be easier to use. Uh, it's not as the same as TOTP, like the authy Google Authenticator sort of route, but um, you know, it's, it's it's more secure than not in general. It's not. you call it TOTP? Yeah, t- I don't know what it's t- time. Yeah, let me look it up. Do 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 time based one time password algorithm is so TBT. Yeah, you would think it would be TBO oh, one time password. Okay, okay, okay. But OTP like capital okay. T time based. Okay, capital yeah. O one, and then somehow it gets the T in there for that time, mm-hmm. and then P capital P for password. Right, but it's missing a B. Okay, cool, cool. Um, and the other one was live. I didn't. I don't. I didn't hear this in the in the keynote, but apparently live listening with iPod AirPods. You can you can put your phone down on a table and walk away and you can hear like I guess sort of like a uh, like a hearing aid kind of thing deal did you hear that one I saw people tweeting about that um, that's cool they didn't they didn't talk about it in the keynote but apparently okay. it's available okay all right so well so uh, this is more or less just about the WWDC keynote and State of the Union I guess to a certain extent what did you what was your overall impression so far of WWDC from from the satellite view that we have like watching the videos how quickly they're delivered that kind of stuff. yeah I'm I'm amazed at how quickly they're turning around these videos. Like one day later, I think for Not, these less than less than a day, like hours is later. It, yeah, is it less than a? Okay, I heard somebody complain about how long it took for like uh, what's new in Swift to come out. I think it came out around midnight the day of. So I kind of like you have no idea. We used to wait two three weeks for these videos to come out, and we I don't think we yeah. ever had the ability to live stream them until last year, right? Yeah, yeah, and you, but well, no, we had they had live streaming of one room, but not all three. But now they're now they're doing three talks at a time, right? I think they did. It, I think they did that last year too. But yeah, no, I mean they did three three rooms last year and this year. But I think before okay, that, we can only, they could only do the main presidio. For instance, would be the room they would broadcast, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that's actually been pretty helpful to have the multiple rooms because there were a couple times where I said, mm, I'm not really sure which of these two sessions. It's really hard to make a choice between. Am I gonna watch this one live and then lie to myself that eventually I'll go watch the other one, or <laughs> am I going to watch this one and then lie to myself about watching the other one and um right the benefit so of being dry. a satellite viewer is i started watching one and said oh my gosh this is terrible and i'm not going to say which one because i don't want to you know mm-hmm. have it come to light which session i was slamming but i was like oh my gosh this this session sucks i'm so glad i can just at the click of a link jump over to the other session what was the which other was much session? better <laughs> 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 right right somebody somebody's trying to nail it down um but we were chatting with mark he's like yeah i also attended that session and it's kind of rude 
to just like walk out, <laughs> especially if you're sitting in the front row or something. So I've, uh, I did that. Benefits. I used to do that at WWDC. If I, if I walked into a session and, and it really wasn't doing it for me, I would get up and walk out and go to another one. And then try yeah, I think you're better seat. off doing that from, you know, like the middle or the back. Yeah. Um, yeah. If there's even a chance of doing that, because it, it kind of sucks to, to do it right in the front. Yeah. And I think, I think that's why all these sessions are always like, all right, if this thing applies to both macOS and iOS, guess what? We're talking about macOS first because we know that everybody and their brother would be leaving once the iOS session oh, piece right. is done. So they, 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 they know, right? They know people. Really? I hadn't, hadn't really thought that, seen that, seen that pattern. But, but you're right. It is so much convenient, much more convenient with the Apple TV to just be able to switch back and forth. The one thing I find about the Apple TV, well, mind you, I wasn't, you wasn't, you wasn't using my phone, phone remote app is the inability to rewind. On the WWDC app, you can actually go back 10 seconds or so if you miss, if you want to hear a point again. Whereas on the, on the, or maybe that's on the re- video replays or whatever. But uh, yeah, and my Apple TV, my TV keeps falling asleep in the 20 minutes between, you know, waiting for one session to the next. And so that's kind of annoying. I have to turn that back on. But yeah, it is super convenient to just switch rooms by just, you know, this video is not working for me and flip over to another one, right? Yeah. And I, I, I do think the, the one thing that I'm going to also knock them on for the, the live streams is whoever is doing the, um, you know, the, the production work in terms of being the producer and deciding which camera they're going to choose and are they going to focus on the slide or are they going to show the person? Are they going to show the crowd? They really did a poor job in, in some circumstances where somebody's, you know, giving a demo. And I'm like, show the show the slide show the, oh, really? the software why yeah. are you showing like this look at this dramatic zoom in of the crowd I was like no i don't give a crap about that you could yeah. you could have had a fixed you know focus camera pointed just at the, the presentation and a different one pointed just at the person's face and you would be doing 10 times a better job than like look at this ah oh, look we've got a crane going over the camera I was like no don't do do that when they're like okay and i'm introducing blah 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 and you know you don't really care what's going on but doing it during critical sections was a huge flub and and hopefully they'll improve on that in the future. Wow. Yeah, I didn't even notice that. Yeah. So I want to talk about the hyperwall during the keynote, though. So what I'm calling the hyperwall was the the screen behind the speakers before the talk, and it was just um, all the app icons there. And I think I think were, they must have been scrolling. And I wonder what the criteria was, because I, I, I think I mentioned to you guys, I don't know if you remember, but in 2013 they had a table at uh, in, in the main area there where they had a whole whack of uh, iPads. Somebody came up with this concept of putting the iPads together, and they had a hyper wall of of icons just floating down, and they're all color coded, you know, all color matched or whatever. The reason why I'm mentioning, of course, is because one of my apps was on the hyper wall. But did you had you guys seen the hyper wall before? Yeah, yeah, and um, I don't have photo evidence of this, unfortunately. So I'm just taking this I person's do. word for it. But uh, we have somebody there at WWDC, and they they told us or told me at the very least that uh, the simple app was on there as well as the offer. Oh, really? Apps. Okay, yeah. I've got two apps that I've had a part in uh, involved there. I wonder if my apps are up there. Hmm. The ones I'm working on currently. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Cool. All right. That's just a bit about the hyperwall. I'll, I'll post some pictures of, uh, maybe I'll post a Flickr gallery or something of our hyperwall extravaganza. Um, all right. So have we got time for picks? We've been going for like a couple of hours now. So yeah, let's do them real quick. Okay. So Jaime, do you have a pick? I have a couple. Um, the first one is I was uh, a guest on the UX Cake podcast. Mm-hmm. That's a podcast 
podcast for UX professionals focused uh, primarily on the soft skills side of uh, user experience. And uh, that's done by Lee Allen Arredondo. Uh, full disclosure, Lee and I worked together um, a couple of years ago, and that's sort of the connection that we had working together as developer and designer. And we cover um, that relationship, you know, design and development and uh, how the two can create solutions together rather than having the, uh, you know, Mad Max Thunderdome to go in, one comes out sort of thing that right. uh, I think right. is all too common in the industry. We'll have a link in the show notes of, uh, of that particular episode. And uh, I highly recommend the uh, back catalog if you're at all interested in the user experience design profession and, and user research, I should say, in there as well. Cool. All right. What's your other pick? My other one is this resource on uh, developer.apple.com for uh, machine learning uh, building model, which has uh, sort of the nice splash page for uh, create ML, which we talked about. And uh, one we didn't talk about, but maybe we've talked about in the past, um, Turi Create and IBM Watson services for mm-hmm. uh, training your own models. Uh, they've got tools there for TensorFlow, um, uh, converting other things like Apache MXNet and other bits. So kind of nice that they've updated that. I'd say it's worth go checking out if you're interested at all learning more about these particular technologies. Cool. All right. So one of my picks is, uh, is um, uh, somebody has posted a diff. I've got a link to a tweet here and as well as that, but uh, put together an app store review guidelines diff, the 20, 2018 WWC 2018 edition. And uh, if you follow that link, uh, you'll see it's a nice, uh, looks like a diff between the changes that are coming out of the um, app store guidelines and going in. So the changes they've made um, regarding that kind of stuff. And we, we talked about these kind of things before, which they're kind of nice to be able to see what was there before and what's coming in there now. So um, changes to kids categories, for instance, you know, um, board issues, so on and so forth. So I'll have a link in the show notes to both the tweet and the actual uh, gist on GitHub, surprisingly. GitHub, the source you know. Tim, did you find anything? It, it's a massive uh, change list. Did you find anything interesting when you were poking around? In I hadn't really, no. I, I just kind of, I just thought it would be interesting for the viewers of the show notes to see, take a look at. Yeah, it's, it's always good to see, because Apple doesn't provide it itself. It's just, guess what? These are the new rules. It was <laughs> you don't one agree actually- to them or anything. You, if you want to be an iOS developer, guess what? That, that's what you agree to. Um, it's good to be the king. And yeah. the one that I looked for, because I'd heard that loot boxes were, mm-hmm. were mentioned, and I oh, just really? searched for that. So apps offering, quote, loot boxes or other mechanisms that provide randomized virtual items for purchase must disclose the odds of receiving each type of item to customers prior to purchase. Really? Yeah. yeah. So um, certainly we talked about that, I don't know, a few episodes ago, probably, um, yeah. especially in relationship to EA, Electronic Arts, uh, Star Wars Battlefront 2. And uh, the story is still ongoing. It's, it's sort of died down a little bit in terms of the, the big fervor. But uh, if you were looking to do loot boxes as your get rich quick scheme, uh, you might want to consider that particular review guideline. Mm-hmm. There was a, tw- a couple of tweets here by Charles Perry, actually, regarding changes to the App Store guidelines with respect to selling things. See if I can find it real quick. Uh, man, the guy tweets a lot. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, he's talking about uh, 313B, I believe. Uh, yeah, it allows the sales through developer website. Yes, that's right, where you can you can ser- you can sell software directly from your site and avoid the Apple 30% cut. A great option for mobile apps, potentially ready to buy revenue, provide developer for revenues directly. That's cool. So what does that one say? Oops, somebody's typing away in the back. So my second pick, when I can get back to it, is um, friend of the show, uh, I've got to get her name right, sorry. Friend of the show, Victoria Herrick, um, reached out to me, uh, reached out to us in, in last week and asked for an opportunity to shout, get a shout out. So here's your shout out, Victoria. Um, she is a winner of Apple WWDC 2018 scholarship. Um, so she's there enjoying WWDC on that. Um, she's put together 
a couple of things. One, she has a website here, victoriaherrick.com, but she sent me a link to uh, her um, child's children's book uh, that's on iPad. And I know I mentioned this to Tammy because we were going to get her on um, Roundabout at some point. Uh, it's basically a, a, a app called Stevie the Snail, and it's a child's a children's book that runs on iPad. Um, and I will take a look at this after we finish recording and so on and so forth. And But she also shared with me some information about how she got her scholarship and so she created a, a playground and she sent it over to me so she created a scholarship she did a playground called space oddity which is sort of based on the major tom space invaders themed custom protocol in physics um so she co- showcased a rogue band of space invaders who adventure on, on their own and even as others stay in the background sticking together even as they fall so this is her playground that she sent me and i'll take a look at that later so yeah shout out to victoria herrick and congratulations on being a wwe the BDC 2018 scholarship dollar winner scholarship winner scholarship winner scholarship winner scholarship winner winner of a scholarship <laughs> scholarship recipient the editor the, the editor in the background cackling because she knows what i'm doing <laughs> all right editor cackling in the background what have you got for us i've got two things for you i have got uh-huh. well both are apple award winners the apple design mm-hmm. winners, and both are games one is a sprite mm-hmm. kit game and i just want to point out that sprite kit is not dead. how was it built uh, tammy it was built with sprite kit <laughs> oh mention that why did that the name of the the name of the game is Bandimal, and it's not really a game. It's a music app for kids where they can kind of create their own, um, what do they call that, uh, looping tracks. And I just, I really like the graphics on it. I really like the simplicity of it. I like the fact that it's a creative tool that children can use. And I really like the fact that it was made with Sprite Kit and Swift. The second pick, as I said, is also an Apple Design Award winner and a game. This one, however, was developed in Unity, which I also like Unity. And the name of the game is Play Dead's Inside. It's such a fantastic, chilling, frightening game. You like it because it's got zombies in it. No, there's not zombies in it. But the the game mechanics and the, the fluidness of the character that you're controlling and the soundtrack and just the ending which is a really dark twist and i don't want to ruin it for anybody but it's just an incredible game and uh those are my two picks oh wait it's free yeah yeah here's the guy who made limbo i think they won before right yeah play dead that one that's like cool Uh, play the beginning for free in-app purchase for the full game oh i see okay full disclosure yeah i think i have i think i had limbo but i never managed to make it very far in the in that game so i also have Limbo, and I never finished Limbo, and as much as I love playing games, I don't have as much time as I would like to play them. So it's very rare for me to finish a game. I'll play it for a little bit, enjoy it, and then I'll move on. I never finished Limbo. With Play Dead's Inside, I absolutely finished it. I think I finished it in almost like a consecutive sitting, just because it was that good. Every The only time I stopped mm. playing it was when my stupid iPad would shut itself off. And <laughs> then I'd have to wait. So there's nobody, nobody telling you to go outside and play when you were doing that? Nobody told me to go outside and play, and nothing came up on my screen that said, hey, you're spending too much time in this one app. 
And I didn't get any ads for other apps. Nice. Nice. So you have another comment here for another another one. Sprite Kit, damn it, you said? Yeah, that was that was this the the, the first one was done in Sprite Kit and that's that's my pick. Oh. My pick is Sprite Kit. <laughs> in general. Yeah, yeah. So I was disappointed to find partially disappointed to find out that Alto's adventure. I want I always wanted to make like an app like that where you've got sort of a you know, physics and, and sliding and motion and all that kind of stuff. But I was disappointed to find out he did that in Unity or they did that in Unity. Because I always wondered, can you not do that kind of thing in Sprite Kit? You, you can. And I don't know what they did it in because, and I just watched the awards again this morning. No, they mentioned Unity. They did mention Unity? Yeah. He, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Because it'd be like an endless, endless runner. It's, I think this, the, the hills and things are probably made. Um, what do you call that when it's programmatically made? Uh, help me out, Jaime. If you're not going to say programmatically, you could say algorithmically. Yeah, I don't know. No, there's another word for that. it. What's that? What's Randomly? That game? What was that game that, that was done um, where the worlds were sort of created um, through an algorithm? They weren't. Oh. So not programmatically, not algorithmically, parametrically. Um, now you're just making up words. That's a real one. <laughs> no, that was like, a game uh, that came out on PlayStation last year with the blue cover, um, blue tealish color, about, and it was about planets, and you grappled these different planets, but they were all made. Yeah, uh, uh, No Man's Sky. Yeah, what's the, what's the terminology for the way that's made? I don't know. If we look it up, I bet you it's in one of the articles. Yeah, Alt A. Have you ever played it? Procedural. That was the procedural. That's that was the I'm synonym we were missing. Yeah, like with the hills and all that kind of stuff. Because tiny wing or um, not tiny wings, little wing is made like that too, right? You can do procedural and sprite kit. Can you? Well, you and I have to have to sit down and have a session. I need to. I need to do a Zoom meeting with you. <laughs> Maybe one of your students. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I think it's actually, in fact. Um, it's something that they added. Well, now I'm, I gotta, we got to do some fact-checking because I haven't touched it in a while. It was something uh-huh. that they announced last year or the year before, and it's I believe it's part of the gameplay kit framework, is the procedural uh, generations for the maps. They, they added it. They did, Maybe they added it the same time that they added the 2D tiling in the scene kit editor, or perhaps it was the year after they added that. But it was something my, my brain is all funky. I don't remember the specifics. All right, Funky Brain. Well, I guess that's it for another week if we want to find you on the interwebs. Are you not going to sing Funky Town? Uh, I don't know Funky Town off the top of my head anyway. Um, So yeah, that's it for another week. I mean, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? (laughs) Sorry, everybody. (laughs) 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 Tammy made that earworm go right into my brain. (laughs) Uh, But where people can find me on the interwebs is uh, on Twitter as at dev with a hair. All right. And Tammy, if people want to find you on the interwebs you can find me at paradox at 927 sinking funky town funky town <laughs> that same song i'm thinking no. of <laughs> no it's not uh, right. anyway um yeah my name is tim mitra t-i-m-m-i-t-r-a on the twitter machine is probably the best way to get a hold of me and we will talk to you guys next week later if you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. 
If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find details on how to help us out on our website at mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. We talk a lot on these shows. We're, we've been recording for three hours today, by the way. Really? <laughs> Indeed, we have. Wow. Yeah. My headache's gone. Well, that's good. I'm glad we got rid of your headache. Just gotta add more vodka. <laughs> more vodka. <laughs> and tang. Vodka and tang. Hey, look, so we have an abundance of tang because back in 2012, when we were hoping that the world would come to an end because of the Mayan calendar, <laughs> we figured, well, yeah. if it doesn't, but it almost does, maybe we should get some tang because it's really filled with a lot of vitamin C. I'm not, oh, is that what it's about? Okay. Yeah, I'm not suggesting that it's like an everyday drink that you should have, but in the event of an apocalypse or something like that, it's good to have on hand. But yeah. now we have an abundance of it over the years, so we're like, you know, we don't want to give it away because it's expired by now. So we just throw it in. It doesn't expire. It went to the moon and back. Yeah. Well, so, I don't want to give expired things to people, so it's perfectly fine. Oh. So I just throw it in my vodka and give it a little taste. Right. Right. So do you, do you mix it with water first? Yeah, water, vodka, and tang. Okay. So so you know, there's a song. There's a, a one of I went and saw this guy play on the weekend because his name's Kim Mitchell, and he was in a band back in the day called Max Webster. On their first album, they had a song called Hangover, and the cure for Hangover was Alka Seltzer, Tang, and a fifty, which is a, a beer from Labatt's <laughs> called Labatt's Fifty. So Alka Seltzer, Tang, and a fifty, and it's all over your hangover. So, yeah, well, it's it's part of the it's part of the uh, hangover cure. So there you go. But they invented tang to go to the moon because it's it's basically they found a way to powder it, powder orange juice, so that they kept most of the nutrients in it, and um, they just had to add water. Yeah, it doesn't taste great though. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, I guess it depends on. Yeah, I think it depends on how much you put in and how much water you put in. I used to think I used to, when I used to just drink tang when I was a kid, I used to put more tang in than you're supposed to. You rebel. Maybe you should try that. Yeah, it, it definitely varies. It's kind of like Kool Aid. So yeah. I learned as a as a young young lad that the difference in how mothers put Kool-Aid can vary from household to household. Uh, my household put a reasonable amount of sugar. My friends put almost nothing in it. It was really wow. colored water. <laughs> Wow. Uh, it, and he, he came to my house and he was like, oh my God, like this is going to give me diabetes. Like this is insane how much sugar is in here. I was like, well, that's the way we roll, man. We go with what the package says. Yeah. Just because you're doing the uh, the homeopathic route of like there once was a sugar grain somewhere in this yeah. <laughs> gallon of water. But if you looked at how much sugar is in, in like pop and, and, you know, Gatorade and, and, uh, and what's a Fruitopia? Do you get Fruitopia there? Yeah. That sounds familiar. Yeah. But have you looked at the amount of sugar in those things on those little labels they have on the side of your food and drug administration labels you know oh yeah it, it's insane how much is in there and mm-hmm. the the thing i always find interesting so the seattle area is one of those areas that is like oh my gosh we're like we, we, we got to solve obesity and diabetes so sure, we're gonna right. put yeah. a i don't know i don't know how much percentage tax it's like 10 percent, i think tax mm-hmm. on sugary drinks 
But when they say sugary okay. drinks, what they really mean is uh, soda pop. Right. And uh, what they're specifically not choosing, probably because they're a political powerhouse here, is, uh, you know, coffees from something like, say, Starbucks, okay, where if you yeah, get, yeah. you know, basically anything other than the basic drip coffee, you're going to have an absurd amount of sugar in there, like, before really? you've even added it yourself. And you would think, hmm, logically speaking, maybe this, you know, $4 coffee should be 10% more expensive so that we can, <laughs> you know, reduce the amount of people getting overweight, having diabetes, all sorts of health issues, because it's a sugary drink, right? No, no, no. You better oh, not really? touch our coffee, because Howard Schultz and his thugs would come beat you in the back of the head <laughs> if you're a politician. So, uh, really, Costco, I didn't realize I think. That, that, um, that Starbucks, so, so like if you have a caramel macchiato or whatever, they already got a, a hunk of sugar in it? Yeah, go look that up. And that, that doesn't even count the drinks that where they're like intentionally bumping up the sugar, like really uh, the frappuccinos the, and stuff. Yeah, was it like the unicorn frappuccino or something? It yeah. must have like a solid brick of sugar in it. It was so sweet, <laughs> a lump of sugar. Yeah, yeah. The other day I got as as it was hot, so I thought I would get something from Starbucks. Is one of the, there's a Starbucks near where I got off the streetcar, and um, I got some sort of raz. So it had strawberries in it, and it was like a lemonade thing, you know, with actual chunks of strawberry in it. I had to fish them out after it was done. It was way too sweet, you know. Like a refresher? Is it? Is it a coffee yeah. or is it? Yeah, no, it, was, it didn't a... have. It had like I think it was a lemonade. It was like a strawberry something or other lemonade, whatever. But they had actually chunks. yeah, the strawberry hibiscus uh, refresher is really good. It's also yeah. very sweet. Yeah, but does it have a ton of sugar in it? Or? Yeah, it's I have not looked it up, tea, but right? it tastes sweet enough that I'm like, yeah, it it almost certainly has a, yeah. a nugget of sugar in here. Nugget, yeah, uh-huh. and, and not like a human nugget like you would put in, you know, in in your tea if you were having tea with the queen. No, no, mm-hmm. no. I'm talking like this is a sugar cube you're going to give to a horse. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's I think it's more like that. And I don't know. I again, this is where I, I uh, you know, going up on the high horse with Tammy. Like I think personal responsibility is a big aspect here. Um, like I understand the the intent, the the good intentions of something like this sugar tax of like, hey, people as a whole have this responsibility problem. Maybe we can use tax incentives or disincentives to change their behavior. Mm. Okay, but maybe people should just stop drinking so many sugary drinks. Mm. I have nothing to add on sugary drinks. By the way, I just got to say, you know, this Beacon app that I recommended last week, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if you have it or you use it or whatever, but, um, you know, it's been dormant since I got it at 360i dev last year. And, and it's just been, I've been getting like, you know, 10 notifications a day from it since WWC rolled up. But do you think that's the MTC, MTJC bump or what? I have no idea. I've seen like two <laughs> or three tops. Really? I'm getting yeah. like tons. I just got one just now. Huh. Rosa posted an event in WWDC, blah, 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 live near WWDC 2018 app camp for girls i've gotten some but i haven't gotten more than two or three this week really oh i've gotten tons yeah Let me open the app this will go on the show that won't that comment won't be using like tunnel bear or something to make yourself look like you're coming from san jose are they doing some yeah, sort no, of no, no. like geofencing no no here let's see if it'll, it, it was it did have trouble loading earlier so yeah so i think yeah see this is the thing it's a funny thing about it is i'm getting all these notifications and yet every time i go back to the to the main app i don't know if this is an issue with their app or whatever but it, yeah, i think it's having trouble loading their their own stream but i keep i'm getting i'm getting notifications here's one from 48 minutes ago, dinner at San Pedro Square Market. There's one, Lib, Swift, Core, Core, and Latte. Trip to Yosemite, you know, unsafe, mutable, raw, buffer pointer. That's the guy's name, I guess. Safe Trip to Safeway to pick up some groceries. <laughs> uh, hanging around at the conference center. You know, Spotify playlists uh, from WWDC 18. Um, is anyone leaving earlier and can share a badge? Ooh, that's a bad, we, that's a bad, bad idea, right? Um, anyone having a, one spare ticket for James Dempsey in the breakpoints? Lunch at San Pedro. 
Pedro Square. This is just today, right? Lunch after quality session. So it's like, you know, like I said, I'm getting tons of them. Anyone have two extra tickets for James Dempsey and the breakpoints, which of course Tammy and I support because we are conditional breakpoints. That's right. Um, Wednesday coffee up. Yeah. So, I mean, like, how many is that? Like, like, like gotta be 10 or 12 just today. And then I had a pile yesterday. So good for, good for, uh, Ashley and her app. Right. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway. Like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.